It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good afternoon, good evening, whichever the case may be for all of you listening out there across the crazy planet Earth. Welcome to Vestiges After Dark. And I am your host, Bishop Brian Willad, coming to you live from the deep woods of western Georgia on this February 20th, 2024. Tonight we have special returning guests and our good friend Darren Evans. You've seen him on Ghost Adventures. He's been on this show a couple times before. And tonight we're talking more about the Ouija board as well as updates on the Zozo phenomenon. Always a popular topic, always a little unsettling. And we have got you covered for the next three hours. Don't go anywhere.
everybody. Once again, I am Bishop Brian Willette, your host with co-host Jamie Wolf. How are you doing tonight, Jamie? I'm doing well, and you? I am fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, I want to also give a shout out to our wonderful uh, volunteer uh, moderators, Paula and uh, Danielle, who's uh, under, the, under the name Mystic. You'll see her in the various chats. Um, we also have, of course, Brandon and uh, Father Chris, who will be following along uh, all of your questions on all the various platforms that we're simulcasting on. Once again, uh, Instagram would not take the feed. Okay, uh, we tried and we I made sure I double checked that we did everything right. For some reason, the feed just would not go to Instagram for the second time. So I think we're going to have to do some kind of test run at some point uh, and figure out why it is not accepting it. It accepted it in the test. But for some reason, when we go live with the show, that one will not take it. So we're not on Instagram, but we are on Facebook. We are on Spreaker. We are on Twitch. And we're on Twitter, uh, Jamie Wolf's Twitter, um, and of course, YouTube, where most of you will find us, of course. Um, And we have got quite a show. But before we get to tonight's topic and everything, we have liturgical libations. And this is one that, again, we had last last season, um, but we didn't get very far with it. So we're going to give it another go here. This is McKellen, 12-year-old. This is Um, all you. I, I do enjoy this one. But you you know the the notes and the profile and it, well McKellen baby dram yes a, a small one is fine yes thank you still have to engineer the show I don't need to I'll, get too relaxed I'll drink your <laughs> McKellen always no matter what iteration it is it always has that distinctive McKellen taste there's really nothing that is like it there's no whiskey that has Beautiful it amber, amber color oh yeah cheers. Mm. Yeah, see, you can tell with Kellen. Yep, not a scotch drinker, but I'll drink that all day. It's a good one. It's good. A little hot, but it's good. Okay, so um, joining us, of course, from Australia, we have Father Chris. How are you doing tonight, Father? I'm uh, very jealous of your McAllen. Yeah, oh uh, yeah. Even the twelve, even the twelve-year-old is is really good. It's very good. I'll drink it a is. spot for you, Father. It's nothing quite like McAllen. I've got mm. quite a few different ones, and um, I like them all. Mm-hmm. I do. I like them all. I've I, never I, had a McAllen. I, I, I drank the. I had a, an eighteen-year-old that I that I polished off last year with a friend. So, eighteen um, is wonderful. That, that's eighteen well, actually tastes smooth. just like the twelve, only it's much smoother. It doesn't. It's not as warm going down. Oh, well, brilliant. we had a, we had, we had a, a, a ruinous evening because uh, he he also brought around a bottle of <clears throat> Penfold's Grange, which is the the premium wine of Australia, and, and so that was oh, I think it was I remember that. It was pretty good. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. I remember that good. event. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good night. It was, that was, was a good night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but today, as ever, I know I look so parsimonious on this show because I'm drinking water again. But well, I, it's the I morning. Just remind you, is it's, it's noon here? Yeah. So, uh, okay, just turn yeah, noon. Uh, okay, so at twelve oh five. Don't confuse ahead. me with a Puritan because no. I'm not that. <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> And uh, calling in also from Tennessee, we have Brandon Milam. How are you, Brandon? Brandon! Uh, I'm pretty good, and you, you can keep that drink. I, I got my own tonight. Very Not good. Dr. Pepper? No, that looks like a monster. Oh, oh, it's monster. Yeah, oh. yeah. yeah, it's a monster. He needs the energy. I'll say a fridge. prayer for your kidneys, Brandon. <laughs> 
it'll be fun. I, I, actually, <laughs> I, actually, in the in the latest nanny state craziness in Australia, uh, they yesterday uh, banned. Um, we have hard solo, which is a lemonade that's you know alcoholic, mm-hmm. uh, and they've now banned any other um, uh, sodas from being uh, made alcoholic. Like, What's going on down there? Because I, I have to say, it's like the the impression that uh, the America has always had of Australia uh, for the yeah. last several decades was that you know anything goes. You know they're they're, they're yeah. you know, it's really laid back and just anybody can just do anything and you know yeah, get away it's with it. Crocodile Dundee, right? It's like, it's yeah, Dundee, do what you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not so, like I mean, that at all I now. Mean, Paul, Paul Hogan. Paul Hogan very much is a, a libertarian hero, but um, <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I, I moved here from England to get away from the nanny state, but they love their regulations here. They, everything wow. is licensed. You know, you have to have a, a cert two in everything. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it, it really is a, a very regulated place, but they've got sunshine and beer and a relatively hedonistic lifestyle. So no one complains. Yeah. That'll keep the masses from rebelling. Just have good beer. That's what it is. <laughs> I want to just remind all of you viewers, if you uh, enjoy what we do here, this is a church-sponsored show. Even though we are not a church show, it is church-sponsored, and we try to make it educational as well as entertaining, trying to hit that perfect balance. So we talk about all the topics that are on your mind and a lot of the topics that other churches will never cover. Uh, So if you value this, if you find value in what we do, um, whether it be the ministry itself or this show, or if you find it an entertaining show to tune into every week, please consider supporting it. Um, it's completely church uh, sponsored and financed. We don't have any outside sponsorship for this show. Um, so your donations are what keep it on the air. So please keep that in mind. You can go to uh, nicolan.org or esotericcatholic.org and click the donation button to provide a donation. One-time donations are always appreciative and, fa- uh, and uh, are fantastic, but um, what the church really needs, honestly, is, is dedicated monthly pledges that are consistent because uh, getting consistent uh, pledges are all, is always a challenge and it's difficult to draft a, a budget and do things uh, when you don't know whether or not people are going to hold true to their pledges. So um, if you find it within yourself to support the show because you enjoy it, please um, go over to that website and provide a donation. Um, The moderators will put it into the various chats. They'll direct links to look for that. And of course, we'll be taking your questions from chat. I know that a lot of you prefer the chat room. So that's where we're, why we have so many moderators so that we can make sure we don't miss anything and try to get to them all. But a little later in the show, we're going to uh, open up the lines and then you can call in if you would like to. We always prefer that you call in if you have a question because it's much easier and I think more interesting for the rest of the audience to hear your voice and to interact with you personally instead of just reading your question off of the chat. But it's your choice and uh, you've got both of those options available to you. All right, let's get started here on this first segment with uh, questions from the ether. Brandon, what's our first one for this evening? So the first question comes from April. Uh, She said, on the Open Lines, Open Topics episode that we did recently, uh, you were talking about how to be able to access the Akashic Records. How do you do that, or how can one learn to do that? Okay, well, 
accessing what is called the Akashic Records, I that's the new agey sort of metaphysical term for what Carl Jung called the collective unconscious. I personally don't see a difference between the two. I think collective unconscious might sound a little more academic, so I will go with that one for now. Um, but Akashic Records is fine. Um, it's it's accessible through the various practices that we have available for conducting inner work. So meditation, of course, is going to be paramount here. Even prayer, particularly the more esoteric versions of prayer, like uh, um, contemplative prayer or um, uh, you know even even religious meditation, um, which is distinctive from buddhist or new age meditation or yoga meditation um, but even yoga itself is also a way to access these um, divination is uh, the primary vehicle through which this communication takes place so you know when you're um, when you're using any kind of tool that employs the laws of synchronicity in order to work um, you are essentially accessing the, co the collective unconscious. Now, just because you're accessing it does not mean that you're accessing it correctly or accurately. Just because you're getting information from the collective unconscious doesn't mean that any of that information is useful. So there is a certain amount of skill uh, that is required in order to do this well. But those that have the natural proclivity, we tend to call psychics, empaths, mediums, all of these people that are, um, that have these special talents that are, you know, sort of like the stars of the paranormal field are, are essentially, um, doing just that they're accessing the Akashic records, collective unconscious and pulling data from it. And that data, if they know how to use it and interpret it and to actually get a clear connection with it can actually tell you anything you want to know about anything that might be on your mind. Just, just a quick question on that. Yeah. Um, do you think? Do you think obviously, it, some people are really good at um, synthesizing um, information. You know, like I mean, uh, I've known people who are academics who are just really good at studying. You know, swatting up on a subject and mm -hmm. regurgitating it. But, but other, I think you know, uh, I don't say this to blow my own trumpet, but it, it's, it's just as prideful not to acknowledge your gifts. I think one one of my gifts in life has been um, obviously an interest and exposure in, in the great myths of, of humanity and, and philosophy and all of that. And then, um, so first of all, having the interest to gather that information and then, and then having the ability to synthesize that in conversations with people. Do you think that's a similar kind of process? I do. I think that ultimately what we are, and this gets very esoteric, of course, and maybe a bit beyond the question, but to kind of bridge the two, your question with this question, which they are absolutely related, um, I kind of have to go a little more on the esoteric side with the answer. And that is, we are essentially projections, physical, corporeal projection so just imagine if you have like a you're in the movies all right and they put the film into the movie projector and then they start the film and then you get to watch the movie that's an incorporeal projection onto a screen it's all done with light we're a physical projection of this incorporeal database that we call the collective unconscious made up of various patterns of archetypes that produce various effects and that is essentially um, sort of the, the, the shadow realm of reality, which is 
in an esoteric Christian sense, what the fallen world really is. Um, in conventional Christianity, the, the fallen world is sort of like creation um, is this, this, this um, you know, it's the same creation, you know, and that's a valid interpretation too. But esoteric Christianity looks at the fallen world more as though we have now entered into an illusion of our own manifestation, an imperfect manifestation, because we don't know how to manifest and use the faculties of creation that are part of our nature because we're made in God's image. He can do it perfectly, we cannot, and so therefore we create this shadow realm of projections. And this is where it bridges the gap between Eastern philosophy, where you get into the Hindu Maya and the, the the Buddhist understanding of how you know essentially nothing really exists. Uh, the only truth of existence is actually non-beingness, which is what gets us back to removing all of the attachments. So that once you've removed them all, then what is what remains is the absolute truth, which is ineffable and beyond comprehension. Which is very similar to the beatific vision. I mean, you can keep going back and forth, and they're really just different well, ways of expressing. It also it. sounds like. It also sounds like a you know a, a post Tower of Babel um, mm-hmm. reality, you know, where where you know you, you were you were drawing on the fragments of these, I mean, what Jung would call archetypes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, uh, and because I just think that um, uh, part part of what makes a good pastor, a good counselor, a good um, insightful friend, whatever it may be, is often. I mean, I think sometimes people think I, I can read their minds. Um, <laughs> And in a way, in a way, I can, but it's not. It's not because I've got some um, extrasensory perception. It's because um, an awareness of of archetypes, of of um, paths of thought, of uh, how people with certain traits respond to the world. Um, Well, that's also your law enforcement training, because I use it too. Well, true. Yeah. That's true too. You can yeah, read, you right. read you know people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, all of that, but, even even as mundane as like law yeah. enforcement instinct, is a type of connecting with the collective unconscious. It's just because mm-hmm. it's being done in a law enforcement capacity. No one really looks at it and says, "Ooh, that's you know spooky paranormal stuff," or it's like all psychic. Um, you know, it's 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 more matter of fact than that because it is matter of fact. It's just when it, you know, when it falls into the realm of predicting the future or knowing something about the past that you couldn't possibly have known because you weren't there. That's when it becomes sort of fascinating to us because it's like, how can they know? Um, but they really they know because everything that's ever happened and ever will happen is all collected there patterns we are a frat we are just caught into the stream of time but they the the what we're calling the collective unconscious or akashic records exists out exists outside of time therefore every moment that ever was and ever will be is already imprinted there and Mm -hmm. one can collect the information kind of like almost like time travel in a way um, only you're not physically going anywhere. You're just simply being able to review the data. And then if you know how to do it, you can pull it. You're just tapping in. It's, yeah. It is tapping in. Literally. The problem is, is that the, the Akashic records are also a, a massive mirror of reflectivity. And so our desires and expectations 
can get reflected back if we're if we don't know how to tell the difference between an authentic connection and one that is really just based upon either fear or anticipation. And the biggest problem that we have with psychics and mediums and 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 using tarot cards and 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 that type of thing is that more often than not people don't know what they're doing and all they're reading is what they either fear to be true or what they wish to be true, and neither one is actually authentic. So, tends you know, people with their hindsight biases tend to just dismiss the times they're wrong. And as long as they get a couple things right, they're like, "See, I knew it," you know. And it's like, but you only saw the ones that you got right. You didn't see all the ones that you got wrong. Yeah, um, I wouldn't consider it is yes. <laughs> and so, I would say that the only time you can really say that you're dealing with an authentic psychic or medium is if they can consistently get higher than 80% accuracy because that's going to be more than statistical chance of 50-50. You know, it's more than just, you know, I mean, anybody can guess right half the time. I mean, that's going to just be statistically, you know, uh, expected. Um, But if you're getting up to the 80s and 90s, that's when we say, okay, there's something going on here. That's the connection point. So when I train people- I, 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 I had a weird thing. Yeah. I had a weird thing happen to me Oh yeah, uh, uh, two weeks ago. I've forgotten about this. I should have mentioned it last week where I was playing Trigger Pursuit, okay? okay. With, um, uh, there were three of us playing Trigger Pursuit. And uh, um, every time I said, out, when I was rolling the dice, if I said what number I wanted, it came the whole game. <laughs> yeah. The whole game. Yeah. That, I mean- that's weird, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. The whole, every single time I said, if I didn't say it, obviously it was just random, but every time I said it, I must have said it a dozen more times. Every time I said it, the, the number came up. When I used to live in that? Las Vegas, um, I would consistently, consistently just be walking through the casino to go to a restaurant or whatever. And I would go, of course, you know, you have to always go through the, the, the gaming areas to get to anything. Um, and I'd pass by a roulette wheel and inevitably, uh, I would be walking by from time to time and instantly I would just know what the next number was going to be. I just knew it. And I would stop and I, and I'd wait to see. And sure enough, more often than 50% of the time. So definitely a connection. You know, I was right. Um, unfortunately, um, I could never translate that to winning money um, because uh, any time I would get that inclination and put the money down, then it wouldn't come up. It was only when there was nothing at risk and I didn't have any actual investment into the experience when the experience was pure that I could actually make the, context, the connection. Otherwise, I would start imprinting my own wishes or fears, of course, wishing to win, fear of losing into the experience, and it would contaminate the effect. Um, and that's the hardest part with dealing with the Akashic Records. And that's the hardest part of finding an authentic medium is that, you know, um, a lot of people who call themselves mediums have made a connection one or two times, and now they're like, I'm a medium and it's, it's like not, not really. And, and a lot of times when they're thinking that they're actually communicating with spirits. And I think that's going to be one of our next questions because Brandon gave me a little preview of what's, uh, what's to come. I guess I'll save it for that question. Um, actually, yeah, let's go ahead and get to that question, Brandon, because it really kind of leads into what we're talking about. 
Uh, so that comes from Danielle. Uh, if mediums are talking with the Akashic Record interfaces, not actual spirits as we have theorized, and the actual spirits don't go to heaven immediately until everyone has passed, where do they go in the meantime? Considering you had said there isn't really such a thing as reincarnation as New Agers might view it. Correct. A Buddhist uh, and Hindu concepts of reincarnation are, are quite different, particularly Buddhists, uh, are quite different from the New Age or theosophical concepts that we tend to take for granted in the West, and we think they're the same thing when they're really not. Um, it's not really a continuity of self. It's a continuity of of energy, um, and that's about it. It's There's nothing that really constitutes a self, and that's where, you know, the Buddhist doctrines of Anatta that we've talked about before. Um, so if we're going to, this is actually requires a little bit of an esoteric, as well, a metaphysical, as well as a theological um, commentary. Now, again, um, there's different perspectives, of course, depending upon who you talk to, and, and mainstream Christianity is going to have, I think, its own bias from the Middle Ages <laughs> on this answer. Um, but I as a bishop, I firmly stand that nothing has changed since Jesus walked the earth in terms of uh, the what the afterlife includes. I don't think anything's been changed in this respect. So at the time of Jesus, in the world of the Jews at the time of Jesus, there was no hell in terms of a place of eternal punishment not in the sense of this constant torture from demons that are just, you know, stabbing you with pitchforks and, you know, for all eternity. That was a middle, that was from the Middle Ages. That idea of hell came straight out of the Middle Ages a thousand years later. Okay. Maybe the Dark Ages started to develop it. So maybe like eight and seven or eight hundred years, but still it was a long time from the times of, of Jesus and the Jewish world that he came from. Sheol, which is the Jewish word for hell, uh, identical in many, in almost every way to Hades in the Greek world. The pagans had the same thing. Um, also meaning hell. Okay. Uh, was not a place of torture. And suffering as much as it is a place of basically unconsciousness or increasing states of unconsciousness to dissipation. All right. Um, and if you in the pagan world, if you were really favored by the gods, then they might bring you up to the Elysium fields or something. And then you could kind of live in their immortality, um, which is a lot like what we kind of have in the Christian world. Honestly, um, it's 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 similar to that. OK, um, in order for God to do this to a mortal in the pagan world, they had to impart part of themselves you know, to you. Um, well, that's what Jesus does in the Eucharist. So there's, there's, there's parallel. I'm not saying that Christianity would adopted this from, from paganism. What I'm trying to say is there is a universal perennial truth here. And just everybody's got a little piece of the puzzle and they're all kind of talking about it from their own perspective, but it all means the same thing. Right. Um, but well, hell, I think, I think where, where Christianity has gone, where, or where the, where the, where the, Church has gone wrong, certainly post Reformation, but but probably before that, really. I mean, <clears throat> post Thomism mm. um, is. Um, I had to I had to correct somebody once who who was a superior to me in the church I was in at the time, <laughs> because it, you know he very much had this look uh, a, a good guy by the way, you know I mean yeah. um, who meant well, but he, he very much had this sort of what you would say conservative evangelical theology. Theology is too generous a word. Um, 
<laughs> where, sorry, that was really no, it's busy. true though. It's true. Um, uh, but um, you're just being honest. Where, where you know, and, and, and this might be familiar to some of the listeners, especially those in the South in America, because I, I know you're from this world. Um, <clears throat> not that you inhabit it, but you're from it. Where they have this image that they really lay out the story of of salvation. You know, from the fall in Eden, and you know the 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 Ten Commandments, the Second Temple, the coming of Christ, blah, blah, blah. And it presents it in such a way as to suggest that, first of all, that God evolved his thought, that somehow, you know, oh, he tried Eden, that didn't work out, so now we'll try something else, and now I'll try something else, and now I'll try something else, which, of course, suggests that God is not omniscient at all. Um, Or, uh, yeah, not consistent, yeah. Yeah, well, and it's just the massive flaw is that, the anthropomorphizing God, because they're looking at how it's been revealed to man over time mm-hmm. and, and conceptualizing that in a linear manner mm-hmm. and then putting that back on God instead of, you know, and I said, look, you know, just a, a little thing here. This was always God's plan. You know, this isn't plan A went wrong, plan B went wrong, plan C. Um, this is because God is eternal and, and t- all time is present to him. And so um, God doesn't make a mistake. And um, when you say, you know, we're tapping into the reason we can tap into it is because all of it is present at once in, in you know, what Christians would come to call the divine logos, the, you know, the, the, the word mm-hmm. that is eternal. And so I think that that's where the conceptualization goes wrong and where a lot of Christians get really worried about esoteric things is um, they have this sort of almost formulaic view of, of a linear revelation of God's salvation for mankind. And that's actually not true. You know, like, yeah. you know, no, it's theologically it's not, not true. It's not, yeah, it's, it's, the plan has always, that's the whole point of Oh Happy Fault, is that even from the very beginning, yeah. it was already designed to work out perfectly, even in spite of ourselves. Um, and that's something that's hard for, I think, humans to wrap their mind around because they're, they're always so linear and they keep falling back on that linear thinking. So when it comes to something like hell, that too is a bit linear because it, it, it implies that, you know, you're, you're, you're born. You have your, you, you know, you, you either live a good life and follow God's will or you don't. And then you go to heaven or hell and, and, you know, heaven's forever with God or in hell is, is forever suffering because, you know, you're, you're being tortured by the devils there. You know, um, that is not Sheol. Sheol, no Jew would have recognized anything of that. We get some of that imagery from the fires of Gehenna, which people forget was a trash dump where you went to destroy trash. So the the metaphor that Jesus is using here, the allegory that Jesus is using is that you will be thrown out. In other words, there can be no place in the final correction, which is what we call in the book of Revelation, Christian theology, this, the new heaven and the new earth, it will be perfect. So therefore, nothing imperfect can exist because anything imperfect will be wiped out. So in, in by, by virtue of believing that there's this place of permanent torture, that would imply that there's going to be this little pocket of the universe somewhere, a little pocket of God's creation where things will still forever be imperfect, which completely is against the theology um, and that is why we get into things like the first death and the second death, because it is truly death. It isn't torture. The torture is recognizing what you could have had and knowing that there's nothing you can do to get it. And then 
losing yourself in that, which is why I am an annihilationist. Uh, and I know that that's not necessarily conventional Catholic theology, but I, I can't reconcile what's in scripture with the medievalism that, that people take for granted, uh, today, uh, with, you know, I can't because the, the, the scripture is very clear as to that when we're talking about hell and when the Bible you know, is translated in English as hell. We're talking about Sheol and Hades. We're not talking about the medieval Dante's Inferno hell, um, which is a complete fabrication. So where do people go, okay, if they don't go directly to heaven? Again, we're talking linear. This is a linear question, which is why it's a very difficult question to answer because you can't, there is no, there is no linear response, okay? And this is what I mean by this, okay? We know that we are we can it, it, we can't enter into the perfection of God until the resurrection of the dead, which happens at the end of time. But as soon as you step outside of time, then it's already happened and already always has happened and always will happen. So at that point, when but, you and that's why Christ can say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It could be like, right you know, because it's right now. Everything he teaches yeah. about is yeah. about the uh, about the kingdom. Of, how many things begin with the kingdom of heaven? Is that him? Because it's right you know, now. It's, yeah, it, yeah. And also the the other the other thing that's amazing and again where. I'm sorry to pick on Protestants, where Protestant <laughs> theology falls down. Uh, by the way, annihilationism is far closer to what the Orthodox teach, right? It is. Um, but but the um, but uh, where Protestants fall fall down. They didn't have Dante, Father. Is, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Dante, uh, most of our images of hell are from Dante. It is written a thousand years later. You know, but, 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 but what what a lot of Protestants miss out because they focus so much on the cross, right? Which is that's not a bad thing, you know, the atonement of. And all of that, but they forget about the empty tomb because the other thing you're describing in terms of you know because you're right you can't answer a linear question is is a wrong question although I'm not saying the person's wrong for asking it um, but the the uh, the amazing thing about the empty tomb or about the ascension is that what we do know about heaven is that there is a human there because Jesus is there yeah. and he's still man he's still man. And and and, and yeah. so that's why the stress on the incarnation is so important to exactly. Christians because we're saying no, no, this eternal logos is embodied as a man, and that man is in heaven, and therefore men can be in heaven. Sorry, humans. No, that's you know, no. You're right um, because I mean it will be both a corporeal and incorporeal reality. Yeah, just in very much the same way that this one is. Only this is a fabrication of it. This is a copy of it, an imperfect, you know, a terribly imperfect version of it. Whereas there it won't be, you know, that the incorporeality that we deal with, which is, you know, the mind that gets us into so much trouble will be fully in control and not subject to the weaknesses that we currently um, face in our current situation. But I'm going to blow everyone's mind. So to answer the question, about where are they then? If they're not reincarnating, where, where do they go until, you know, what is Sheol? Okay. I'm going to blow your mind. All right. This is again, esoteric Christianity. It's not going to be something that you're going to find necessarily in conventional uh, theological discussions. However, I don't think there's any monk that's ever told me that I was wrong. Okay. At least the monks, you know, the monks get it. This is, this is the, this is the truth. Okay. Um, Sheol does not exist really in time. It's outside of time too. Okay? Because it's closer, believe it or not, it, Sheol is closer to authentic reality than this will ever be. 
this fabricated fallen cosmos that we think is real, okay? Um, so the harrowing of hell, when Jesus went into hell, Sheol, not, the, not Lucifer's little prison, but Sheol, when, when, when Christ went down there, Conventional theology teaches during the three, you know, that when he, between the death and the cross and the resurrection, okay, um, he went to the harrowing of hell, they call it. He went to Sheol to liberate the righteous there, okay? Now, we've always just assumed theologically what that means is, of course, you know, the Old Testament prophets, um, you know, Abraham and Moses probably, right? Um, you know, even, even Adam and Eve are, are basically, you know, redeemed, okay? Um, you are also being harrowed from hell because if you, if you enter into Sheol, and we all will, once you're outside of time, you've always been there and you always will be until God changes it. So in the perspective of timelessness, not a linear answer, okay, you're already in Sheol and being harrowed from it, from Jesus right between the, resurrec- the, uh, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. You're part of that. You're, that, is, that, is, that is the moment right before the resurrection of the dead. He takes you out of Sheol, and he did it between the crucifixion and the resurrection. You, and even though you, weren't, you, you don't think of yourself as being there yet, if you get there, and we all get there, because we're all going to end up in Sheol first, that is the first moment, and Bar- Buddhists call this the bardo. It's the same reality, okay? Um, you will always have been there because you're outside of time at this point. So that's why I say to you, if you're already, if you are saved and we know, I, I would never presume to say that I am saved. Um, but if, if I am saved, I'm already in heaven because once I enter into the timeless reality, if I get there at all, I've always been there and I've never not been there. So I was actually teaching Levi because a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of you know, if you follow the Mass, that Levi's being confirmed at this year's Easter Vigil. I'm going to confirm him. So I'm, I'm catechizing him with the final, uh, now that he's old enough to really kind of comprehend some of these higher Catholic theological points, we're catechizing him through Lent so that he's ready for confirmation on the vigil, okay? And uh, we, a little discussion got in about this, and I tried to explain, you know, that because one of the things that people complain or criticize is that what kind of good God would, allow, would have allowed us to fall in the first place? Well, I was trying to explain, oh, happy fault, which is the idea that if Adam and Eve hadn't committed original sin, we would have never needed Jesus because we would have never been imperfect, but yet then we would have never had the knowledge of what it is to be without God and needing him to bring us back. So the question that I got once from an atheist was, why didn't God just stop them? Why didn't he just, you know, wouldn't it, wouldn't a real benevolent God would have come down and say, wait a second. No, you don't want to do this. Let me explain why. Let me show you why. Let me give you the wisdom so that you make the right choice. And I told that atheist, I said, how do you know that's not what he did? He said, well, he didn't because we fell by your, by your, uh, stand, by your theology. I said, how do you know that falling? What isn't exactly God showing us what happens when we make the mistake and that, in the moment of judgment day, how do you know that judgment day isn't being able to finally make the choice? Do you still want to fall or do you want to enter into salvation? 
when you get the linear crap out of theology, then it all makes perfect sense. The problem that atheists have is they can't get past the linear thinking. But you can't deal with God in a linear way. You're dealing with timelessness when it comes to God. So if you're looking at your life and you're like, why is it so fucked up here? What, what kind of reality is this? Why does evil exist? All these questions. You need to remind yourself that this is God showing you why you should not fall. And then judgment day is deciding whether or not you still want to. That's it. That's you know, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie shared something this week that, that speaks to this. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, on, on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know if you remember, Jamie, but, but you put up a picture that says, and I love this, uh, when God puts a calling on your life, he already factored in your stupidity. Yes. Most comforting thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and, and, you know, happy fault, right? Got to factor that stupidity you know? in because we are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're just yeah. a lapse. So, yeah. it, 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 in other words, uh, the answer to the question, why didn't he stop them, is it, is it earlier on in Genesis, he made them in his own image. Mm-hmm. In his own image and likeness, he made them. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, um, and that included... Uh, with creative freedom and that's the that's the that's the fundamental point i think Mm -hmm. is that we are currently coming into the awareness of what that actually means and the implications of that which are profound implications and i think again this kindergarten theology that 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 has like so entirely taken over Christianity today, you know this idea of going on to heaven to you know live in some ridiculous fantasy land paradise like Disney or something. Um, you know the reality of it is is that no heaven is 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 coming into full realization of all of the profound responsibility that we now have. And that in that freedom that we were created with. So, um, yeah, so that's that. I mean, I don't know. I know it's kind of difficult. Um, I know it's kind of difficult to to express in, in in to answer this question in a way that I think makes conventional sense. But you just have to trust me on this one. You know, it's a little bit like trying to write a Back to the Future or Star Trek episode um, when you're trying. Because if you're doing a time travel, okay, you got to take into consideration that, um, you know, all these possibilities are existing at the same time. It's like Doctor Who, right? You know, he might be on his 15th or whatever uh, regeneration. But, you know, as long as all of his previous ones have been traveling through time, they're still out there somewhere. Somewhere, right because you're outside of the linear thing and this is what god is like it's that's what omnis, omnipresence is you know what does it mean to be everywhere well that's what it means is that you're not bound by any space and any time it is all one reality and the now and that's father you said it best when you said you know the kingdom of god is at hand that's what it means it's now it's not something that's coming it's not something that is you know all the way back then it's now right now and always been now it's always been it's just the revelation's different and if you look at scripture that's exactly what's going on god's slowly the scripture is is i think even that was wrong for me to say we tend to look at it as God slowly revealing to us, but what it really is is us slowly waking up 
um, to the revelation, to the truth. And as we go on from Genesis to Revelation, that's the entire human story. It's so difficult to go against um, that because I I know exactly where you just got caught in that thing. It's just it's so instinctive to us because and again, it's. And this is also in Genesis. Genesis has so much in it. You know, people just read Genesis as, oh, you know, let's look at how God scientifically created the world. They're missing every single point in Genesis. <laughs> one of the one of the the key things about the book Genesis is that um, it's Adam and Eve that hide from God, not God that hides from Adam and Eve. Uh, uh, but when we when we now look towards God, we think that we've got to find Him. Right? Yes, and yeah. so that and, and and that's the that's the uh, and that's wrong. Even though it's a, it's a natural way of thinking because of that initial response to having you know wrong divine love. Yes, it is it is a wrong conception. That you're right. The conception is that no God has revealed everything, always, everywhere, all the time. All the time. Uh, and we're we're. Um, you know, we are um, our our our, our uh, mission is to is to allow ourselves to receive that revelation. That's it, um, and, and that's why you know if, if people want to inhabit the kingdom of heaven, then be the light, be the salt, be the yeast, all those be the be the um, be fruitful on the vine. You know, all those those images that Jesus uh, teaches us. Every time we participate in that, we're participating in the kingdom of heaven. We're actually instantiating the kingdom of heaven where we are. Exactly. Uh, and we all experience that. We know when someone loves us. We know when someone forgives us. We know when someone visits us, clothes us, feeds us. Um, uh, even, even on a really, really basic level, you know, um, we experience something of the kingdom of heaven. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think if, if, if we conceptualize our lives like that, when we receive a guest in our homes, we're participating in the kingdom of heaven. It puts such a different emphasis on, on, on meaning and, and, and our purpose in life. Um, and and we, play, we play ourselves down too much. You know, when we do those humble, simple things, we, we are, we're, we're taking uh, our, our right place in the divine story. Like it's, it's amazing. Uh, it's, 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 that's why it's the mustard seed. It's the really small things. That's where um, we participate fully in the kingdom of heaven. No, you're, it's you're, much harder for us to do it on a macro level. Only God can do that. Only God. Yeah. Well said. I mean, perfectly said, honestly. Um, all right. Let's get to our last question here before the, uh, the break. And we'll get to tonight's topic oh, with yeah. Darren. It's going to be awesome. So the final question uh, have you heard of children being under a certain age that are unable to be possessed? Something about the age of reasoning or something along those lines? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I've heard of people that make this claim. It's not true, of course. Um, say, the I- <laughs> age of reason is a Protestant fabrication. There's no such thing. Um, the devil, <laughs> as we understand, the, the, the authentic version or even the, the fictitious one that a lot of Christians believe in, um, does not care about a person's age, only their vulnerability, only their uh, availability, you know, because there's an opportunistic aspect to evil. And we all have the fallen nature. We all have Yetzahara. Yep. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're one day old or a hundred years old. Um, you are still 
subject to the same risks that come with the fallen state. And so, no, that's why we baptize babies, infants, because um, they are uh, they are still eligible to receive the, the grace vulnerable. of salvation. Yeah, they're the easiest yeah. targets. Well, it's not just to protect them. That's that, I mean, actually baptizing someone just to protect them from evil is actually probably the worst reason to baptize someone. And I know that we get a lot of people that it's, ask it's us. It's the lowest, lowest resolution. <laughs> the lowest reason. Right, yeah, it really is. No reason. I mean, it gets yeah, them on the path. It gets it. Yeah. But, yeah. um, and it's not a talisman. Baptism is right. not a talisman to be utilized as a, as a protective device. What it does though, is it does provide essential graces that are needed, uh, uh for salvation. And the reason the church does this with infants, is because that needs to start right away because of the fallen state. All right. So um, typically, as soon as that newborn is is strong enough to be able to make his trek to uh, to, to to the church and get this done, um, it should be planned and done. Um, you know, not waited. And the worst thing, the opposite side of the people who come to us to, because they want to protect their kids, and that's the only thing they're concerned about. Who cares about believing in Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the other side of the coin are these people that will be like, well, I don't want to decide for my child what religion to practice. They can, when they'll wait till they're old enough and they can decide for themselves. And Protestants actually have a kind of version of this. You know, uh, I'm sorry, baptism is not bar mitzvah. Okay. It's not a coming of age party. It is an essential quality of salvation. It is essential to that process. Scripture makes this extent, uh, extremely clear. And we have non-canonical sources that are absolutely almost were canonical like the didache okay that make it very clear that infant baptism was an early christian practice so they knew this back then and the church has carried it on and that's why orthodoxy and christianity the oldest two denominations if you want to call them denominations i would actually argue they're not denominations they're just basically the church in its original state (laughs) yeah um they both baptize infants it's only much much later where they're like oh no you gotta you gotta have the age of reason you gotta know what you're receiving well what 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 are godparents for worse than that believers baptism yeah. That suggests that you can be saved by your own intellect. And that's a works, that's a isn't work. it? That's works. <laughs> so no. It's pride. Yeah, it's, it is pride. It is. Um, so no, there is absolutely no, um, no, no, there is absolutely no uh, justification for that. I have seen, I have seen um, children younger than five uh, suffer from demonic possession. Absolutely can happen, and um, and vulnerability is all. And it it's takes. not a sign of curse. It's not a sign of sin. No, no, not 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 no. It, it, it can be an adult, but Padre Pio, yeah. Padre Pio was possessed. Well, look at the Desert Fathers too. I mean, they all yeah. dealt with possessions. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is. There's different reasons for it. Now, in today's day and age, apathy, spiritual apathy, is the primary reason it happens. But that's not going to be a child's issue it's going to be more about opportunity and vulnerability and that type of thing so um i don't know brandon does that answer it to your satisfaction yeah pretty much it does because i've i've heard about that with the the age of reasoning growing up southern baptist and so i kind of wondered is that actually a thing or is that a more relatively newer idea yeah, no, that, that's, it's not, um, 
it's 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 not valid it's not valid and um you know i mean even animals can become possessed you know anything that's part of the fallen world is at risk for this you know possession you know, understand you know again possession it, 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 we have this very very linear kindergarten theology kind of understanding of it like there's like these little demons that are hiding and they're gonna you know they pounce you and then if you just you know they're gonna latch on and enter into you and try to steal your soul um yeah that's not really what possession is possession is 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 an over accentuation of the the darkness that's already within okay it's just that the 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 vehicle of suppression which is grace is not abundant enough to compensate for that darkness. And that's why cultivation of grace, even though you can't merit grace. And I think I need to make that clear because when I talk about, I talk about the cultivation of grace a lot. That does not imply that I mean you, you're meriting it. You can't merit grace. Grace is a pure gift, but cultivation is the uh, relationship with God. And that's the only way to get the, the grace. Power of the sower. It's the parable of the seed. It's absolutely solid. Yes. It's, it's, you've, got to, you've got to, you can cultivate yourself to be the good soil. Yes. Yes. You know? yes. The seed comes from God. The, the grace comes from the God. The grace comes from God. Yes. And in fact, it's showered down everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's available everywhere. Uh, you're, you're the one that has to change yourself to be, to be the fertile ground. Absolutely. That's exactly right. So I think that's the way to, to, you know, that we need to look at it. I, so much of what it is, so much of the problems with Christianity from inside and out, from the atheists looking at it from the outside to the Christians who think they get it right on the inside and they have it so wrong. Um, it's really just that Christianity is so old we're so far removed from its origins that people now believe what people say about it instead of what it says. And that's a bad habit that everyone, Christian or atheist, have fallen into. Um, and no one's doing the work to bring themselves back to a more complete, comprehensive understanding of the of what it really is saying. Um, and, you know, when you're, when you're afraid of things like understanding the esoteric model, um, well, then you're cutting yourself off from so much of it, okay? Because so much of what's in Scripture is actually esoteric. It, it was designed to be. It was meant to be. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can take for face value, but there's a lot of stuff you can't. And when it comes to Jesus, there's really not much of it that he said at face value. <laughs> One of the only things he said at face value was probably the most esoteric thing he actually said was the entire theology of the Eucharist. You know, because he was actually being quite literal and matter of fact about we actually consume him. Yes, we actually eat mm-hmm. Jesus. Yes, that's exactly what he's telling us to do. And that's exactly what we do at mass. Um, and it sounds shocking. And but again, from a linear perspective, that would be shocking. Uh, wouldn't it's, it? even, it's even more shocking in the original Greek because it, 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 it's it, the word is not. No, it's not. No, it's what animals do. It, yeah. it's, it, it is like. Yeah, yeah. It's not a surprise that it goes on to say many people left him that day. This teaching was too hard. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, think about it from a Jew. You know, I mean, you're talking yeah, about drinking revolting. blood. That was like <laughs> yeah. from the time that they were born, they were taught that this is the most unclean thing you could ever do. You would never. I mean, even our notions of vampires. 
The whole idea of the archetype of the vampire drinking your blood actually comes from this ta- Jewish taboo against mm-hmm. blood consumption, which is why, you know, they kosher meats to draw all the blood out of it. Um, and it's related, of course, to sacrifice. It's related to the spilling of the life force and all of the spiritual implications there. Well, and, and, and the, the animalistic eating is, is also a direct connection to the scapegoat. You yes, know, the the, um, the scapegoat that was that, that Yom Kippur was set out, yes. you know, to be ravaged by the lions in the wilderness. You know, it's, it's basically saying you're going to be, you know, I am the scapegoat, and you're going to be, you're the lions feasting on me. Yes, you know, it's like, um, yeah, it's it, it's a perfect metaphor. It is a perfect <laughs> yeah. metaphor. It is, um, and yeah, well said, well said. So yeah, to get back to the the, the question, um, we have to and i'm noticing that even in the in the the chat here um there's been some you know discussion that i i think i don't want to i don't want to assume but i think we're going in a in a bit of a misunderstanding here um uh, padre pio you mentioned and um suffered from you know uh, demonic possession um and then uh laura came on and and mentioned that he was a very pious person um Mm-hmm. The two are not mutually exclusive, okay? Um, you can absolutely be pious and possessed. It, just because you're possessed does not mean you're a horrible person. Um, there are many saints that suffered this uh, in various forms. Uh, Teresa of Avila had numerous demonic attachments. Most of her writings so talk Bosco. about this. Yeah, Bosco. Uh, and then the, read the, the Philokalia. I mean, it's all about this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Um, so actually, the more it's pious on my you are. It's table at the moment. I think that's a tragic admission, isn't it? The uh, it is wonderful bedtime reading though because it really does set your mind right for the rest of the night um but and no Christos Ware's translation is the best yes just to give it a plug so there's two <laughs> things that you can do okay there's two things you can do i mean that 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 demonic possession is indicative of um it can be brought on by an overindulgence in one's darkness can also be brought on by overly uh being very successful at overcoming it because see, it, it, it over, it will, the, the Yatsahara will always overreact to anything that takes away from its status quo. So if it, if you become very apathetic spiritually and just don't care about God or God's will or anything and become a very sinful person, well, then you're just feeding the Yatsahara. So that gets strong for that. But if you're fighting it constantly, it doesn't like that either. That can make it lash out like an animal in a, in, in a, in a corner. So either, Either reaction could provoke a, a demonic response. Um, piety does not um, uh, does not eliminate, does not preclude um, the the risks. Okay, it's it, in fact it can increase it. I'd say you know one of one of the um, one of the the most profound things I was ever told as a seminarian by one of my spiritual directors was that the closer you get to God, the closer Satan gets to you. And it's absolutely the truth. It's absolutely the truth, which is why another priest told me once um, that God only chooses the worst of us <laughs> to, yeah. do, to become priests. Um, there's a reason for that. We have to. We are obligated to. Broken men make the best priests. That's well, another way of putting it. And you know why? Because we have to understand the darkness intimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to fight it and that's Jungian it is that's, that's exactly what Jung was talking about <laughs> that's right. exactly that because one of the ways to get possessed is to ignore your badness to pretend yeah. you're oh, I'm just I wouldn't harm anybody yeah. no no you need to know that you can that you can yeah. be possessed 
possessed by these demonic, you know, thoughts, um, yeah. tendencies, and and in, and to confront that and to and to transform it into something which gives you energy to do the right thing. So yeah, the pious people can be possessed like Padre Pio, but look at the fruits of their possession, and that's the, the difference. Of their possession. That's a difference. Are people gathered into the kingdom? Yeah, that's amazing. Well, look at even Ghost Adventures, right? How many people have told me that they saw me, they saw us on Ghost Adventures, and it brought them back to the church? I've been told that so many times Brilliant. you know so i mean that's they that's, don't even get to see a lot of the good stuff i know they that's don't but it, it still inspires them it still inspires yeah. them and it's like my god you know this is real and i yeah. saw i witnessed that there's something about that that really changed you know in me because i witnessed this um and that's exactly what we're talking about here but speaking of the devil we're about to talk more about the darkness with ouija boards and zozo with go. darren evans when we get back here in just a few moments don't go anywhere we got a great show ahead
Welcome back, everybody, to the second part of Vestiges After Dark. We are now about to bring on our special returning guest, Darren Evans, to talk about the Ouija board, the dangers of the Ouija board, his own personal experiences, and to get an update. He hasn't been on the show in a few seasons, Um, so there should be a lot to talk about here, as well as updates on Zozo. It's always a fascinating time when Darren's on the show, and... uh, you got a lot to look forward to because this is going to be a good segment. Don't go anywhere.
Okay, so we're going to uh, keep the lines closed for the moment, and I will open them um, at the break for the uh, the third hour, and that's when you guys can call into the show and ask any questions you might have directly by calling in. Uh, we'll also get to questions that are coming in from the chat on all the various platforms across the internet. Um, our moderators are working hard to catch them all, and I'll try to uh, get to each and every one of them. But our guest tonight is, uh, he does not need an inter- introduction you all know who he is he's been on ghost adventures uh on the same episode with with us once on ghost adventures live um he is the leading authority on all things zozo so um let's not waste any more time and welcome darren evans back to the show how you doing tonight darren i can't hear you oh wait hang up no we got go ahead and talk again darren i can't hear you Father Chris, can you? No, no, I think your mic's not connected. Darren, yeah, I think, Darren, your mic's not connected. I'm not getting any sound from you. If you just okay. go to settings on Zoom, you should be able to. Go into the setting. It might be a different. Um, sometimes okay, Zoom will automatically you. default to something that is not your microphone. It does it to me all the time when I connect my VR headset. Yes. It will say that, oh, you're using this microphone, even though it's not even connected. All right, so let's go try that again. I'll unmute you. All right. Hey there. Nope, no sound yet. No. Ah. I sent them a message. All right, so let's try this. Keep your keep your camera on, Darren, um, and get go ahead and and uh, call into the show. Um, do you have the the, the call in information? Let's let's go ahead and and give that to, to you. Yeah. More than one way to skin a cat. Yeah, let's try this. If you could call into the show at 718-362-6380. 718-362-6380. And the PIN number is 855-4111. Well, while we wait for this to work out, I don't know what it is. It's, it's sometimes what happens with Zoom is that it just will default to some microphone you don't even have. And if your computer doesn't like it, it won't work. I have that problem almost all the time. And sometimes it's even happened to me when I was about to go on the air. Let's go ahead and try this again. Okay, Darren. Are you there? Nope, no sound. Go ahead and text him. Do you have the phone number? 718. Yep. 362. That'll be the easiest way. Just keep your... Can- your, your Keep your... Uh, 6380? Yeah. Uh, 6380, yep. Go ahead and keep Pin. your camera on so we can at least see you, but... 855-4111. What was the weird thing is that when we, we were getting voice feedback from him when we were before we started the show it went away after we went live so i don't know what it is welcome to technology folks (laughs) yeah subject matter and zoom that's happened to me before on zoom has it yeah all right so Derek, if you can hear me i sent you a text with the number and pin number on a facebook messenger yeah when you call in, I'll go ahead and bring you on. Um, so we do the backup. It works. Not a problem. Okay. He's just seen my message. Hopefully, he'll be calling here shortly. Okay. 
Bless his heart. Uh, poor just, guy. Yeah. Chop it at the bit, and then the, <laughs> the dangum audio doesn't like, work. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. I guess what we. I guess we should just probably. Um, well, I'll, I'll do sound checks. In the meantime. Yeah, there you go. Right. We'll do. We'll do. We'll, we should probably do sound tests, uh, and a uh, half hour in advance in the future. It's tough because sometimes guests come on for the second hour, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It looks like he's calling here. I've said, at least I see him with, holding the phone, but I'm not getting uh, I'm not getting him in the queue yet. <laughs> He's texting me. Okay. Not number said not included in rate plan. The heck does that mean? Okay. Let, we're, let, 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 let me do this. Let me go ahead and do okay. this. I'm going to go to a short break here again, and we're going to call him directly and bring him on. Sorry, guys. Stand by because he's got an update on the Zozo Demon House. We'll be right back.
Okay, I think we've got him back here. So, Darren, can you hear us now? Go ahead and put that down. All right, let's try this again. Can you hear us? Yeah. Okay. Mute that one because we're going to get feedback. (laughs) All right. I think we've got this fixed. Wait, I'm getting feedback on myself now. Are you getting a lot of feedback from me? Let me see this. I've got it on there. Yeah. Okay. I think we're good now. No, we're not getting feedback on you. It's it's because the only way we could connect you to the switchboard was to have Jamie call you on her phone and her to merge the calls by her calling the switchboard. So I think we're okay now. Um, anyway, Darren, welcome to the show. Weird. I've had Zoom meetings before and they could hear me. That is so strange. I don't know. I mean, it, it, we we could we had your – I was getting audio feedback from you. Right. Um, that was normal before we went live. And when we brought you back on, um, or when we were ready to bring you on, it was dead. No sound. So I don't know what's going on. Sure. You know, this, this happens sometimes. Well, almost every time I do an interview, I have some kind of weird audio problems or it's, uh, not uncommon. I'm sure you guys have experienced it before. Oh, yeah. Hey, nice to see you guys. I've been listening to you for the past hour. And, uh, wow, you guys have uh, really changed things up. I love the background. Uh, good to see you guys again. It's been a few years. Yes, it has. It yes, has. It has. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. We're ba- no, you're getting, no, you're getting, you got the, you got the, you unmuted it. You unmuted it. So we're going to have feedback. Okay. Why don't you go put that down there somewhere? Right now? <laughs> All right, throw it out into the woods. Uh, but we should be okay now. I'm sorry, Darren, but no, it's been so long since we've had you on and had a conversation. It's great to have you with us, and um, we're so interested to hear what's been you know what's been happening with uh, your research because you're always working on something, aren't you? Always, um, you know, amongst. Um running a business uh since i've moved out of vegas i've you know been back to tulsa now my hometown for about three and a half years since um we were all hooking up in vegas you know and i'm glad to be back in uh, tulsa um things are a lot more laid back and i have a business here and i'm super happy um i think the last time we did vestiges uh Danae had just had Zachary and he's, you know, he's four years old now and his hair's longer than mine. Oh, really? <laughs> and, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's quite an amazing character, uh, you know, growing up and, you know, I'm super happy. I'm, you know, I do a lot of artwork. I've, uh, I'm sitting here next to a piece that I just finished. Actually, I can show you. It's a super huge oh, multifaceted yeah, waterfall got some skills with the paint. Bishop. That is yeah. beautiful. Yeah, and so there's a super surprise down at the bottom. I call it <laughs> Fantasy Falls. Um, but, you know, if you get to looking in my artwork, you'll find a lot of hidden esoteric type of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, I've seen it. And the funny thing about that is, as I've been doing um, a, a weird type of artwork now for about, I don't know, eight years involving kind of a Bob Ross technique of, of wet on wet techniques. But here's the thing. Um, for the last couple of years, I've been working on what I call spirit art. And it involves taking a piece of plastic and 
dipping it into various colors of aerosols that are laid down and let gravity do its thing. And you mash it all up, these different plastics, and you lay it on the, um, the wet aerosols. And when you do, shit shows up. Really? I've never heard. Where'd you, oh, yeah. Did you come up with this? Or is this something that you hmm, were exposed to somewhere? I, you know, I was, when I was younger, I was, a, I was quite the artist. Um, I won a lot of contests as a, as a teenager in high school. And I had a, a, a pretty cool portfolio put together that was stolen. And it had a lot of my award-winning artworks in that as a young man. And it, it pissed me off to the point where I didn't paint for 20 years. Uh. And so when I picked painting back up, I was actually watching Bob Ross. And then I was like, you know what? Yeah, I love Bob Ross. Who doesn't love I him? Think we you all know? grew up watching Bob Ross. Uh, absolutely. And so, so relaxing. Me too. And I was watching Bob Ross, and then I happened to see um, a, a guy that was using spray paint um, as art. And it's um, it's kind of an old Mexican technique. But I, anyway, to make a long story short, I started learning about that technique, and it got me back into art. And it's an incredible technique. But getting back to the spirit art, which I call it, what I found is when I was, you know, I used to do um, – videos of me doing this and you know you you, you drip these pa- these plastics and these I've used old socks I've used different textures but when you dip them into this wet paint and you you kind of mentally um, aware of when you're doing it is that you're asking the universe to produce art with you and it's an incredible technique you know many times I've dipped my different substances into my um, I use poster board a lot because it retards water. It's good for spray paint. Yeah. Right. But it's kind of this weird technique that whether it's pareidolia or whatever it manifests, things show up of their own volition, of their own manifest. You know. And so then I look at that, and then I let my brain calculate, well, where is that going to go? So it basically paints itself, you know, if you can imagine that. It's, it's quite a concept. Um, you know, one I hope to keep developing, but guys, it's great to see you. Uh, in addition to my art, I, I play a lot of music. I'm a, I'm a guitar obsessive nut. <laughs> and I, and so I'm into a lot of things as far as a creative type guy, along with my research into some several books that I'm writing now. Um, two of which are in, still in a research phase. And you guys know me. I'm, I'm quite the research hound when I want to be. Oh, you absolutely are, yes. And when I when I dig, I find stuff. And um, that can be a dangerous thing, Brian, as you know. We've talked about this. Oh, yes. Oh, it, there's always risk involved in the work that, you know, that we all do, I guess, in this, in this uh, paradigm. And a lot of field. things, but, you know, by association, because I am who I am, mm-hmm. I have to kind of bounce back and forth between this family guy whom I'm, you know, who I, who I am. And, and then I got to get into this whole Zozo thing and, and who, what I've known for is this Zozo phenomenon and trying to make sense of it as it pertains to spirit communication and demonology. And it crosses a lot of borders, as you know, and currently I'm under contract from a new TV show uh, that wants to talk about some of my experiences that I can't really discuss of 
what, who the show is. It's not Ghost Adventures. Um, but I'm also uh, been interviewed in a new book that I can talk a little bit about with uh, involving um, Richard Estep in a new book called In Search of Demons. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, which is going to be coming out soon. You know, I've uh, gone back and forth with Rich for um, you know several months, and he's also interviewed um, some very notable people in the paranormal in regards to this. Uh, and I always loved the old paranormal show In Search of. Oh yeah! Oh, that was wonderful. Oh, you know, yeah. yeah, I mean, you guys used to watch In Search of with Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, and it was like right, right way before yeah, any teeth on that. Yeah, yeah. When I was a young man, you know, I had the Steve Austin toy, and I was a Bigfoot enthusiast even as a as a five year old. So I've been involved in this stuff for quite a while, guys. But I, I, I something caught my eye with uh, is it. Chris Yates. Yeah. Is, is, is he from yeah, down under? Not, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's, yeah, he's I'm, I'm from England, he's but I live, yeah. I live in Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Chris, uh, I can't help but notice your accent. It brought me back to. I wanted to ask you something. Right as we get off the bat here, I was a friend of Father Barry Mays, the famous mm-hmm. uh, chaplain exorcist from from Australia before he passed. Are you familiar with Father Barry May? I, I, I never met him, but uh, I, yeah, I've, I've heard of him. Yeah. Well, I was, I was just curious because him being from Australia, we worked on a few Zozo cases together, and I I saw that you, um, you know, are from Australia. And so I, this, I, this guy was amazing. He was the John Zappis of Australia for quite a while. And he was... Uh, uh, one of the more famous exorcists from Australia, look him up because he's an amazing guy. And he worked a lot of cases um, involving Ouija boards. And that get, I guess that gets us back, Brian, to what we're talking about tonight Yeah, is the dangers of the Ouija board possibly. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, I mean, I guess that's where we should begin. We'll talk a little bit about Zozo here in a minute, but let's, let's talk about the Ouija board. Uh, you know, I remember, uh, when we were all in Vegas with Patty Negri, um, you know, she had that board there and we were at that bar. Yeah, there's a couple um, of good pictures of us. Yeah, yeah, and we were we were getting some Zozo, uh, I guess, feedback from the board that night. Right. Um, but, you know, it freaks people out. You know, it freaks people out when they see people using it. It freaks people out when they hear about it. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about it, of course. Um, but, you know, and I have uh, my own theories on it uh, and contentions that I that I uh, you know employ in in the uh, in the work when it comes to Ouija boards. However, that is not to suggest in any way that because I might have certain more mundane explanations for some of the phenomena does not mean that it's not dangerous. There is definitely risk and danger involved anytime you uh, start playing around with these types of forces. So. I guess let's start off, Darren. What is your perspective on it, how it works? What are people communicating with um, when they use the Ouija board? Are they spirits? Are they the subconscious? Is there some kind of other esoteric thing going on? Are we always dealing with demons? What's your thoughts on it? Well, Brian, you're, you're a great interviewer. We could talk all night on, on, on that exact thing. What is it we're dealing with? Um, you know, the Civil War, 
there were so many people dying back then in the 1800s and, you know, it caused a spirit revolution, so to speak, the spirit movement. We, in the 1800s, various devices were being employed to speak to the dead. There was a need to speak to our loved ones that passed away. That's always been one of the major driving forces in, in using Ouija boards, um, regardless of um, whether it be in the form of, uh, of a talking board or a uh, prior to the uh, Ouija board, you had the spirit dials and you had other means uh, to spell out the alphabet. And so the uh, modern invention of the Ouija board in 1891, we be, you know, begin the patent process of Charles Kennard and all that. And I'm not really an, uh, an expert in the history of the board, uh, I do know a little bit about the history, of course, and have been asked to speak at WeegeeCon on uh, various television shows. Uh, in regards to my experiences involving this Zozo thing, and so I kind of put the Ouija board back on the map um, because when I came out with my uh, research in 2008. It was kind of under the radar, and then there was a lot of controversy, and it became a viral sensation. Uh, and, it, and never in my wildest dreams would I have um, suspected that my early experiences with this Zozo character on spirit boards throughout the years, I never would have dreamed that it developed into this viral sensation that happened in 2000. Uh, eight to 2009 when I went public with my research and I've discovered that other people all over the world were having um, communication with this Zozo thing. Cause yeah. it, it caused a whole hornet's nest of controversy and it remains to this day uh, what it is that, uh, you know, that we're communicating with not only in the Zozo phenomenon, but if we step outside the Zozo phenomenon, and look at spirit communication um, as a whole, or you know, in, in, in separate forms. How this, how the Ouija board can be one of the most common ways to communicate with the dead, Brian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that can it, be a dangerous thing. Absolutely. What do you think the primary danger is? Is it that you don't know what's coming through, um, or is it that there are other things that can come through? wouldn't pretend to be a relative, for example, or, um, you know, my experience with the Ouija board has been interesting. I've talked about many of my experiences before. We might've even talked about them, uh, you and I, Darren, but I, I will say, you know, when it comes to factual experience, we have, we have talked about your experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it fit my experience have affected the physical world. You know, it's remarkable what, what I have been able to, encounter with this thing but do you find that the the risk factor is in that because one of the things i've noticed is that the information can sometimes be dead on accurate and a lot of times it is a complete misdirection and all of these prophecies and things that it can tell you never actually seem to mean anything or amount to anything so do you think the danger is in the deception uh, or is there something more sinister at work you know, Brian, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, regardless of which camp side you're at, yeah. um, which which side of the fence you reside on, whether it be 
that, that that involves internal agencies that we're speaking with when we put our hands on the planches and it starts to begin to communicate with us in different forms and different ways that we're not used to. There's many different interesting aspects of what can happen. Uh, and when we, when we analyze the communication aspect itself, I was perhaps one of the first to um, interview researchers at USBC that were communicating with Ouija board in, in an attempt to communicate with the, with the subconscious. Uh, this was um, the first time that scientists actually used um, crowdfunding efforts to facilitate the uh, funding necessary to conduct these uh, scientific experiments involving a Ouija board. And what we found, or what they had found, interesting beyond anything else um, in their experiments were the fact that there was a significant um, statistical difference in the um, in the truthfulness of what of, of how they answered their questions there was a there was a significant degree of more accuracy when they were on the board as opposed to when they were asked the same questions off the board and so mm. while they did not attribute these significant um, unexplained events <laughs> while they didn't attribute that to the paranormal being scientifically trained they didn't eliminate that possibility and so that was a fascinating interview sure uh you know when we start analyzing what really happens and so when i was invited to WeechiCon back in uh, 2018 i believe they conducted experiments from a dutch scientist that were using eye tracking movements to try to facilitate some type of explanation as to what happens when we're when we're talking with these unseen agencies brian yeah mm. and so it's always been a fascination of mine uh, out, you know, whether, again, whether we sit outside the fence, well, all you're talking to is obviously archetypal, uh, you know, energies within, uh, within oneself subconscious. But, you know, regardless of whether you think that way or we think we're talking to spirits that exist outside of our subconscious, um, it doesn't change the paranormality of the communication exchange. Right. And the, and the weird things that happen. And so since 2020, and we haven't talked about this, I, I rarely do interviews anymore. Um, since, since the whole pandemic and all that thing has happened, there's been a, a, a big uh, degree of, uh, of shutdown when it comes to the Zozo phenomena, which, thank God, this was getting crazy, guys. <laughs> you know, and... When I look at the research that I that me and Rosemary were doing back in um, 2018 when we were responding to emails concerning China, uh, people were being sent predictions that Donald Trump would become president before he was even elected. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was predicting a war with China, and you know, look at, and then it didn't happen at the time they said. And Brian, you'd ask, well, what, what's the, some, how does it mix? the truth with false, you know, falsity. And, you know, if we look at the, uh, the Gulf breeze, uh, uh, what happened with, with, with the military members that, uh, that actually were in Germany and they began Ouija sessions. Uh, and these were people that were trained in mind control. These were high level security, high level military people. 
that conducted secret sessions with Ouija boards that caused them to go AWOL and to go to Florida back in the 90s because during these sessions, it was predicted these certain earthquakes would happen, certain, and these things would come true. But many of the predictions did not, Brian. Yeah. But it still caught the interest of these governments. You know, it's the only time in history. It's one of the strangest uh, Ouija incidents that's ever happened as far as document. And many facets of the Gulf Breeze 6 is still remains classified. Yeah. You know, and so there's more to this Ouija thing than just being an average parlor game, which is what he's kind of been. Uh, if you're a proponent of the board, it's just simply a parlor device. It, it, you know, it doesn't contains no, it's not abhorrently evil or inherently evil. Uh, you know, and so that's debatable within itself because can objects be haunted? It is so. Uh, can it be a, a haunted uh, candlestick, you know, or a haunted Ouija? Can, can these. Is it like, you know, the early viz animism in which it was believed by these early uh, practitioners of pagan type beliefs that spirits dwelled not only in objects and humans, but also places, uh, trees, uh, you know. And so there's a diverse belief system. And I think that uh, the, the, the most interesting thing, uh, we might go pretty fast, uh, tonight is, is, is the diversity of this Zozo phenomenon and the many different interpretations of it in the many languages, how this word is able to jump geographical and language barriers and always being an evil term, Brian. Well, I remember last time you were on this show a few years ago, uh, you talked about how your research found that Zozo went way back into ancient yeah, like history. Babylon, Babylon, right? Did you find something? You know, the sad thing about today's, um, I don't know what it is. I I, I feel reluctant to release in for, you know, my research nowadays because it's been so misconstrued. Uh, When I, you know, I used to publish a lot of things on my blog site Mm -hmm. uh, and people would just list it off and and interpret it in their own way. And and I was rarely given credit for a lot of my early research on the Zozo phenomenon. And it was very discouraging. I remember. Yeah. Um, I was I was called a you know a liar that I fabricated all this you know, and you have to deal with that aspect whenever you are you're in this field. And it took me. I'm not a very thick skinned person. I you know I uh, I take this shit seriously. You know I'm not in the I'm not in the paranormal for money or or or, or fame. Um, but unfortunately, because of the so many people and this becoming a viral thing and. Uh, you know, it was the first um, first time on Twitter or social media that a demonic name had ever trended. Whenever we uh, originally did the Ghost Adventures episode of the Zozo Demon House, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, and um, that was a first, and that bothered Zach back then, you know. And we were on the show Aftershocks, and we were talking about, you know, um, he he kind of put me on the spot. He said, "Darren, is it smart to be?" Doing a Ouija board at you know at a, you know at a location or whatever. I'm, no, it's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> not. That's not going to stop them. <laughs> Research. Let's establish that it's not very smart. Okay. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I have, you know, I have used Ouija boards to true at once. Is, but, it, is it not just as possible that both thing, both things can be true about a Ouija board? It can be, it can be both those things. You know, whether it's the kind of uh, the view that it's. Um, 
you know, a psycho Jungian kind of um, thing. That can be true. Well, I think that's true regardless, right? Because any time we we enter into, um, you know, archetypal thinking, we end up in that place. But and it can also be uh, simultaneously a tool for 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 darker forces or for other spirits as well, and and maybe a better image of a Ouija board. I, I don't think it's a case that people are saying, "Oh, well, they're possessed in themselves." It's more like looking at it like a like a firearm, right? Like a firearm's not good or evil; it's what's done with it. It's a tool, um, and, and yeah, so a it's chainsaw is then used. <laughs> Still, a tool. You can use a chainsaw to cut wood right. to save your family, or you can use that to, for other nefarious purposes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's exactly like that. I think it is true at once. I mean, I think, and even I think the interpretation is true. And I think that's what you're getting at, Darren, is that ultimately the, 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 what it is that we're communicating with is less important than the fact that there is an inherent danger to this practice on particularly under certain conditions. And perhaps it is a bit irresponsible for um, corporate America, like Parker brothers to basically promote this as a board game. You know, I was trying to uh, interview Brian Golder, who was the was the uh, CEO of Hasbro during the Ouija films um, of current or of recent times, um, which kind of coincided with my um, with my research when it kind of exploded in two thousand nine. You know, um, I was was trying to reach Golden, which Chris Cox is currently the CEO of Hasbro, and he's kind of bringing more modern. Um, modernity to, I don't, I don't know him personally, but I know that they use the Ouija board in some very, um, horror like, uh, the, the, the way it was depicted in these, in these Ouija films, which were paid for by Hasbro and, and produced by Hasbro. Uh, you know, it's, uh, for them to say it's only a game and then use that in horror production, you know, it, it's, it's a, Thin line between, you know, is that dirty pool? You know, yeah. What's going on corporate on the corporate level? That's a whole different thing. But what, what, you know, when when not Berry Farm created their Zozo virtual reality, uh, you know, yeah, that's when it's just getting way out of hand. You know, you pay money to go into a uh, scare zone with a huge Ouija board and this real. Demon, you know, jumps out from the middle of the table. Now there's a lot of money spent in that production, uh, you know, and, and it's crazy how this type of phenomenon can almost become. Brian is is egregoric out. Uh, you know, egregore is kind of a man-made um, entity. Well, like the Slender Man, you know, where it's kind of we know it's man-made, but it's still real. There's been an element of that to the Zozo phenomenon that's gone totally unexplained. Uh, that I think, you know, I, I know you said you got your own personal feelings about it, um, but it's manifested into something that's um, pretty crazy. Well, see, I think that it comes back to most of these, whether you're talking about Satan, um, whether you're talking about some of these darker manifestations, even like vampires and these mythical creatures um, that are sort of the personification of various types of evil or different manifestations of evil. Uh, I really think it all 
comes back down to um, the parent archetype of the shadow, the primary Jungian archetype, this darker side of human nature, which in ancient Jewish theology was Yetzirah. That's actually the serpent that's in the tree in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve encounter um, that leads to the fall. It is a personification of humanity's proclivity to engage and indulge in the darkness. Instead of making good, uh, wholesome decisions, it tends to be uh, more gravitating towards the more taboo or darker side of things. And Zozo, I think, is indeed absolutely uh, an egregore out of the collective unconscious, built into perhaps the DNA of humanity, which is why you see it across so many thousands of years, perhaps, um, and is very active today because of the interest. But I think really ultimately what it is, is just another modern day manifestation of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. It's certainly um, a modern demonic twist. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and it was weird when I was, when I spoke at WeegeeCon years ago in Baltimore, which was basically the, uh, the home of the Ouija board back in 1891 when it was, you know, invented and uh, they hung it on a subway. And, you know, there's some pretty funny stories about all this. But anyway, to make a long story short, whenever I uh, was kind of saved for last during the three-day event, most everybody was proponents of the board. Yeah, I felt alienated, you know. Um, and people, and it was very controversial and I'm not very well liked by members of the talking board historical society. Mm. Uh, even though I'm friends with two of their most academic sources, uh, and they, you know, thank God for people that can debate stuff, uh, and, and get along, yeah. you know, which is a very, uh, rare trait today's thing. You Isn't know? that yeah, the truth? It's a dying art. Yeah, it is. Um, but the current chairman, I believe is Karen Dahlman. She's a friend of mine. She was friends of good friend of Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who's co-author of the Zozo Phenomenon book that we wrote. And unfortunately, Rosemary passed shortly after we wrote the Zozo Phenomenon. And I'm, uh, regardless of whether I do a collaboration uh, with the paranormal or music, I love to write music. I love to write lyrics and write uh, guitar parts and piano. I've been learning piano for several years. The creative essence of everything that I do um, is, is what keeps me going. But basically I've gotten to a lot of debates about whether or not the Ouija board is dangerous or not. Yeah. And I kind of let history tell the story, you know, uh, and a lot of people don't look at history and they don't look at of what, uh, it would be, I think it would be a dis, uh, you know, a dis justice to history if we did not, uh, you know, before the stigma of the Ouija board, uh, before the modern invention of talking boards, before the Hollywood jump scare, there were numerous reports of creepy exchanges with dark entities on not just Ouija boards, but planchets, dial devices, all these uh, ways that we communicate with the spirit world. And so are we to deny these negative experiences or are we to weigh everything out and just, you know, make our minds up based on our own experiences, but but also those in history? Why not? You know, I, um, yeah. 
and the intent, and I think fear plays a major role. And we can talk about fear for a while, you know, how it plays into these Ouija sessions. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah, um, I, I've, I've, I've told uh, my story before on the show, so I, I don't want to labor the point, but, um, you know, my, my, my eldest sister was murdered and, um, uh, some years, be- some years before we, we, Ouija boards were, were, were things that she was into and like, it wasn't taboo where I grew up. It was like, fine. Uh, even grandparents took part in this thing and they just saw it as a joke and what have you until one day she stopped the Ouija board was in the bin. Uh, she'd used a glass, not a plancher. We, we, we'd made it ourselves, actually, right. on, a, on a tray. We'd stuck letters on it, and we used a glass. And she destroyed it, because, um, and, it and it transpired that whatever she was communicating with said, I'm going to stab you. Hmm. Ten years later, she was stabbed to death. Hmm. You know, now, you know, I'm not excusing the person that did that. Uh, you know, and he went to jail, and he then killed himself. But um, the... For for me, I, I you know that's a really vivid memory because I was very young when when um, the the Ouija thing happened, and then I was kind of coming coming of age. I was just joined the police when when she was killed. So um, you know, notwithstanding what what we've said about archetypes and the use of that and all of that, and I think that's all legitimate that that Bishop Brian was talking about. My own view is, um, and I'm not saying this you know because I'm a Catholic priest wagging my finger. I'm saying it from my own experience my view is that it's so for me i think there's a high risk in in using ouija boards that, that you know because that's been that's been what's happened in my family you know i've had a high i've had interesting interactions too in high school with my best friend we messed around with the ouija board didn't think enough of it we're in the back of my my ramp my amc rambler uh in the middle of the cornfield and we made communication with something it was not Zozo, but it was something that basically we were asking questions about our future and the stupid questions kids ask, you know, when are we going to die, all that crap. Well, hmm. it basically said that we would both be in the military. We'd both go to the West. She ended up joining the Navy years later, was stationed in Washington. I joined the Army, went to Korea. At the time, neither one of us had even thought about joining the military. And then it said that uh, my death age would be 37. Not exactly correct, but when I was 39 is when I was hit by the uh, the drunk driver and was and I was killed, but I was brought back three times. Three times, yeah. So you did have a so death I passed, experience. I passed away three times, yeah. So you know that's why I hadn't touched a Ouija board ever again until we did that that shoot with Darren and, and uh, Patty. So I was a little apprehensive, but I, I knew that I was with people who knew what they were doing, so I was able to get through it. But I haven't touched one since either, and I won't. So there's there's something to be uh, said. Important that you were amongst people that you trusted. Absolutely, and that had an impact despite those those showing up. None of us were fearful of it. No, uh-uh. yeah. Uh, Patty dismissed it, and if I remember correctly, it, it kind of changed behavior, so to speak. So you, you know, it's, it's a it's a roll of the dice of what comes through. Um, but you know, if spirits exist. It would be irresponsible to suggest that they are probably either a all malevolent or all benign. It makes more sense that these unseen agencies probably are a balance of good and evil. Um, and that seems to be when, when we talk to these things on Ouija boards, 
they seem to have elements of both characteristics of good and evil. And, you know, it can be a tug of war, um, mindfully of, of, of what we're dealing with. And that's so common to so many experiences. The fact remains that the overwhelming scale of talking board exchanges are of a very creepy and negative nature. Yeah. Um, the unseen employing deceptive, fearful uh, methods of communication, whether and whether that negativity originates from our own minds or from outside sources, um, it doesn't change the validity of 150 years of experience with talking boards. That's true. That's what people don't get. Well, I, I mean, you want I, to see a danger of a Ouija board right here? See that scar? Big old butcher knife. That was from yeah. my ex-wife that was using Ouija boards behind my back. Yeah. That was after the filming of Ghost Adventure. Oh, did it? That was after the episode. Is it the, it's yeah. the same one that was affected in the episode, right? Bitch tried to kill me. Yeah. Yep. And not just me, but other people, you know. And so, the, 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 I, I know people hate to hear it, but... I have always dealt with the dark side of this, you know, many experiences that I've seen. And I can tell you story after story after story that I've been involved with that would blow people. That it, it, There's no logic well, behind you, it. Your, 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 your intuition is, is um, your intuition is really like uh, obvious. Like you're a very intuitive person. I mean, I mean, you know, you, the first thing you do is come on the show. You say, oh, Chris, have you heard of Father Barry May? Well, Father Barry May, like me, is a former police officer. Well, sorry, he died in 2015. Um, yeah. A former police officer that became a priest and an exorcist. It's like, you know, we were talking about archetypes before. Somebody mentioned in the comments, like, it, like that. Now, that's not a freak event for you. You've honed your intuition. You you know, you you've clearly spent time um, or invested energy in, in figuring out um, things more than the mere surface of life. So, so, you know, Chris, I just had a really good vibe about you. you. Uh, (laughs) Not knowing you and everything. I just, I, you, I picked up on some things. There's something about you that I um, picked up on. Yes. Uh, And it's, uh, it's good to have that diversity um, I did not know that you, that uh, Brian and and Jamie had additional help or interviewers on the show, so it's it's nice to have that. You know, um, it was um, you were you were back in the know, days, we, Darren. We, we, you were the last time you were on the show. It was audio on uh, audio right. only, and it was really just I think Jamie and myself. We've we've made some yeah. ed- improvements over the years. Oh, uh, definitely, yeah. you guys. <laughs> Have a long way. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, but, you know, I think that what, what, Brian's one of the smartest people that I've ever talked to. Period. Uh, he sent me uh, a, one of his early books, uh, and it, you know, it, wow, uh, the knowledge that he has that it just flows from him. Um, but you know, but religion teaches us that fear is of the devil. And so how difficult is it for people to see that fear is used by the demonic world and that, you know, that, that we have choices in life and that we can either deal with the demonic or we can choose to ignore it or we can, you know, just 
like Brian emphasized earlier um, about uh, the biggest trick that, or the, the biggest thing the devil ever did was convince us that it doesn't exist. And that seems to be more going on now than ever before. Um, well, I, so, and the other thing is, look, I mean, look, look at who the demonic is. So, you know, we're taught the Christian religion teaches perfect love drives out all fear. Right. right. And if you look at the people who are, are um, you know, wrestling with possession, with darkness, who, who almost become obsessive with things that are uh, that are not good. And they're often people who who find it hard to either find it hard to love other people or or other people find hard to love. Right. And, and it's why so often like, I mean, the, the, the primary role of the of the clergy, for example, is actually to display God's love for all people, no matter how fallen they are. And and, and the the only wisdom that should come from learning more about theology that, that, that priests do at seminary is to learn how to love people that are the most difficult to love. Because that's the only thing that's going to lead people away from fear. That's, that's right. it. There's nothing else. And actually, it's an act of love. Like, I mean, you know, I've only seen Ghost Adventures from the outside, but clearly, in those episodes where they're wrestling with with forces of darkness, it's, it's even an act of love simply for you know for I Zach and you that guys to be invested in based them. Based on my experiences yeah. with people, and I've I've dealt with literally hundreds of people that have contacted me through the years because of Zozo and and different Z named entities, and not just what I call Z entities or Zozo, but other Ouija board experiences, people, you know, they email me and they, they come to me for advice. They come to me for various reasons and throughout the years. And it, because of that, it's caused me to adjust my research accordingly. For instance, the oldest mentioning of Zozo phenomenon is uh, I discovered by total accident and because of a foreign exchange student from Tibet who warned me that there were several students that died in a particular school that they were going to high up in the mountains in which an old man would push people off the ridge, you know, the cliff. And I'm like, what? You know, uh, and I, I started looking up Tibetan demonology and I run across an amazing um, prophecy that was, um, it was deciphered from a professor of Asian studies. Uh, his name evades me at the moment, but he's a significant uh, author of uh, Chinese and pre-Zen Tibetan demonology. And he was able to prophesy something that I'll share with you real quick that I found to be one of my most significant findings in this whole, I think, uh, Zozo phenomenon, because it almost reads like it's uh, been ripped out of today's modern headlines. And you guys were talking about the conception of time earlier and how humans perceive this time. And um, in, in early Tibetan demonology, these were, you know, the conception of time was, you know, not as linear as it is now. But getting to uh, the, the oldest mentioning of Zozo that I've found is in the 8th century uh, in Tibetan demonology at the time of the kings of Yarlung the time which passed is is conceived in a cyclic form 
and I'm reading from the prophecy now. It is not linear as believed today in the West. It is discontinuous. Hmm. Humanity passes successively ages of different kinds. Now, I'm, I had this translated from French. And so it was translated from Tibetan into French, and I had it translated into English, and that's what I'm reading to you now. That humanity passes successively through different ages. And that these long durations, they seem to be numbered in tens of thousands of years. But during the time of origins, a kind of golden age, it is the epoch that follows the creation of the world by the gods. It is located in past passes, a happy past, pomp, prosper. Men and gods are not separated. Being and all that will populate the earth are concentrated in heaven. They descend in turn beginning with King, what's his name? I can't pronounce it. Founder of the Yarlung dynasty, a thousand legends, like that of the yak and the horse. Tell of how the earth is populated by beings from heaven. This age of origins lasts 10,000 years. The end under the reign of the 13th king of Yarlung dynasty, the age of declines appears. The circumstances which put an end to the age of origin are very peculiar. Until then, the lord of the demons, a man named Zozo, was enclosed in the ninth story under the ground inside nine citadels of copper. He is unhappily released by the king, the 13th king of Yarlung. The king himself is attained with its power. Two elements that protect this person, we do not know if it is objects, animals, or even gods, abandon the body of heaven. Thus begins the age of declines and evil religion release, releases upon mankind, and the power of Zozo and the demons becomes stronger. Now, this is actual prophecy, guys. Yeah. And so I won't, I won't continue. But it's disturbing. It definitely is. Hold that thought, Darren. We're going to take our last break here. Stay on the line. Um, also, uh, we're getting some reports of feedback. So it, make sure your Skype volume is all the way down. And just use the micro, the uh, audio on your phone going forward. I think we'll I, that should resolve it. Okay. We're going to be uh, back in just a few moments. Don't go away. This fire.
Welcome back, everyone, to the third and final hour of Vestiges After Dark. We've been having an incredible conversation with our special guest, Darren Evans, this evening. It's been fantastic as it was expected to be. Now it's time for you to ask your questions and call into the show. That's our preference. The number to call is 718-362-6380. That's 718-362-6380. Remember to enter pin number 855-4111 to get placed into the queue. That's 855-4111. We'll have that number up on the screen here in just a moment, so you won't be able to forget it. And it's also in the chats on the various platforms and call it. Otherwise, we'll be taking questions directly from uh, the various chats. And uh, Jamie, Father Chris, and Brandon have been collecting them for our guest tonight. So we'll be hopefully able to get to all of them. Um, But uh, we'll be back here in just a moment to do just that. Don't go away. Okay, we are now back to take your questions and to go through them. And remember to call into the show. I'm going to put that number up on screen right now so that um, you can do just that. Uh, But, uh, Jamie, let's go ahead and get to the first question for Darren tonight. Uh, Well, the one I saw, because I don't have my phone, look on here, one from Laura, a really good one. Uh, Could Zozo be another metaphysical name for the devil or part of the devil's hierarchy? What do you think of that, Darren? Um, that's, that's a great question. Um, yeah, that's uh, always been asked. Uh, if we look at demonic names uh, across um, the board, whether it be um, in the Goetia or, you know, we have names like Pazuzu. We have um, a dangerous demonic name, Karanzan, which, you know, all spell the same thing. And so if you look at their gematria numerical equivalents, of three, three, three. Uh, there's a yeah that there, these exist. I, I look at these things and I look at parallels between the demonic names and trying to. Uh, uh, I have been contacted by um, an Italian theologian uh, that didn't want to reveal his name, but he he you know emailed me years ago thinking that it was um, a, de- a demon's name. It starts with P. 
and there's various reasons for. I mean, who knows? But I mean, here, here's one of the one of the funny things about the. We're not funny, but do we look at uh, do we look at these names uh, that are found in, in Necromonicon and other um, Egyptian books that are, you know various books of the dead, uh, biblical uh, apocrypha? Do we concentrate on those names, or do we also reflect on the more modernization names that are coming forth and revealing themselves in these Ouija sessions? And with the advent of the uh, internet. I'm able to look at, at at hundreds of hundreds of Ouija sets, you know, not just sent to me, but ones that are available in story forms of, across the internet throughout the years uh, that I've been able to look at. And using, uh, even if it's been deleted, you can go in and look at uh, various ways to to capture screenshots of what's been put out there before. Because here's what's weird in my research: I've read things about, um, particular in studying the uh, the letter Z how it's been eliminated in various languages throughout history because of its demonic association, because of the creepiness involved. It was eliminating from early Latin uh, because of the mere pronunciation of the name um, caused the face to uh, do a, uh, what they call the rictus of death. Uh, you know, the, uh, a freshly digging up corpse. When you say Z, you know, it, it caused the face, the mere pronunciation. And so I had to look yeah. and, yeah, and, and in literature, I've found that um, the, ter- the the word zo has a power. Not only the letter Z and how it's been, there's all kinds of crazy stuff with how it's been uh, determined that uh, insurance statistics have proven that if, if you have it in the in the license plate, that it's tied to more fatalities. Uh, you know, and I don't try to scare people with this stuff, but it's true. I, I put this information out there. Because it, you know, I think it's, somebody's got to do it, uh, and so there seems to be a parallel between the demonic realm and the letter Z. Uh, you know, and it's not uncommon for the letter Z and the S to be interchangeable throughout magical texts and grimoire. Uh, and I found um, grimoire, you know, written in various editions in the 1800s, called the Dictionary Infernal, that describes Zozo as an actual demon that was involved in a possession case. Uh, in you know, in 1816, uh, in Italy, and so the very you know, and, and then going back even further, I found uh, literature that explains that an early pope uh, described Zozo as a mass of demons, uh, the commune omnium demonum, which means um, a combination of all the demons. And so, are we looking at and you know, and, and perhaps the most peculiar thing that maybe Brian can explain? is in typical Catholic demonology uh, in exorcism. I've interviewed several different uh, exorcists throughout my days, uh, and they, they, they all claim that the, the understanding of the name gives you power over that specific demon. And so that doesn't seem to uh, attribute to Zozo, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's pretty perplexing in the demonic world. And so, Brian, what are you... Let me interview you for a minute. What, what do you think about that aspect of it? I mean, that is unusual. I've never actually encountered Zozo in the field, um, so I've never really had a case where we had to work to remove Zozo. Um, so I don't have any personal experience to share in terms of how it would have responded to those particular rites of the um, the church that um, first in of course, the solemn rite of exorcism. Um, getting the name is is one Do of the. Do you think we're dealing with a collective thing, uh, more more as opposed to an individuation? 
I do. I do think it's collective. I think it is absolutely the primary egregore that's out there, at least as far as evil goes, as far as what we call evil. Um, and I think that that in, its, in itself could explain why merely the name. The other thing I think it could be is that I'm not entirely sure that is the true name of this particular entity. I think it might actually be um, more of an, uh, of, a, of an incantation that increases its power versus um, as a way, perhaps, to conceal its name so that nobody could have control over it. Uh, I have a suspicion about that. But then again, I have no personal experience with Zozo outside of the, the first time I encountered it um, was when I did the Ouija board many, many, many years ago. Uh, it would have been 1993. And um, for whatever reason, we were doing the Ouija that night and never had anything strange like that happen. And this particular night, usually we would get really good coherent sentences that told very interesting stories. And this particular night, all the Ouija board would do is keep going back and forth from Z to O, from Z to O. That's all it would do. So that was the first time I encountered it. And the second time was with all of you, um, with, was with Patty and, and you at, at the, at the bar in Vegas, uh, that we live streamed for everybody. So I've never actually encountered it in the field as an exorcist. I've now, never been. Did you been get able- really sick after that, after that, after that Ouija board? Did, I mean, did you, or was that before did you, you got really sick, right? Um, I was, uh, you mean in Vegas? You talking about in Vegas? You think after Vegas, right? It was like before the pandemic. You were in Vegas. Yes, uh, uh, if I remember. I don't think. I don't think it was that we were, trip. We did it? the first show, the Halloween show in 2018, right. October of 2018, before the pandemic, right? And then it was like it you was know 2019. I remember you got really sick, yeah. Brian. It was like uh, I caught COVID know. in Vegas. I thought. Well, I, th- I think it was we Alpha. We didn't. It. We didn't have. We didn't have tests back then. But it would have been January of 2020. Exactly. And uh, I think I did the same thing. Yeah. And it was it was the alpha and it was really bad. I mean, it stayed with me for like for like two months. The first month was the respiratory that didn't get into my lungs, but it was always it was like definitely a really bad flu that would not go away. And then the the second month, it was all intestinal. Yeah. Um, and then it went away. Uh, then I didn't have it again. Um, until then the Delta, I caught them all. I caught all of them, but I never really went to go get tested. So I can't confirm it. I just went by the symptoms I was having, but yeah, I did get sick after that. I did. Well, you know, it's, uh, I I think I was going to, we were going to have, um, the new owner of the Zozo demon house call in, but I think she's gone night, night. Um, I don't think she's going to call in, but let me tell you guys, they were still having issues there. And, um, you know, it, this may be a little off topic with Ouija boards, but, you know, there we, my sons were experimenting with boards behind my back when I lived there. And I wasn't doing that. I was researching them uh, in 2009. And everyone that's lived in that house, Brian, has experienced paranormal phenomenon. And there's, you know, it, it, the new owner recently contacted me. And, you know, I thought things had calmed down because I've interviewed four different families that have lived there. And all of them claim different paranormal, but they all seem to have similarities. Yeah. And these similarities that this lady has now is uncanny, you know. And so we, we've contacted Ghost Adventures, and I hope that they invite you and, and the good sister to come along and let's help this, this family out because they're having problems. I, I have reached out to the show 
and they are aware of the situation. And so I hope that something comes about because I've just reestablished contact with her earlier today. And she's having some issues, you know. Let her know, so, Darren. Like, let I, let I her know to, con- to to fill out the intake form on our website so I can produce an official case with our office with her, and then I can I can I can forward that to to Ghost Adventures and 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 maybe have a conversation with them about it to see if we could all go out together because that that sure. would be an interesting episode and it certainly would be an interesting case to work. Yeah, maybe a case if she was just too, too nervous you know, to call in. Yeah, so. And, you know, I, I have checked on people that have lived there periodically and, it, you know, it's just, you know, what it is, what it is. But, uh, you know, this family needs help to have kids, you know, and I'm hoping that I'm, you know, reaching out to, you know, I don't know. Uh, I haven't, you know, talked to Zach. I haven't been on the show in a long time. Now you guys have, I, I don't know um, what my relationship is with him, but I am reaching out to the show at this point okay. uh, because I've been asked to, uh, and I don't ever do that. I've never reached out to the show other than my own, um, you know, personal involvement, but, uh, yeah, so we got that going on and, uh, I know we're getting, uh, we've been on a, yeah, we, we, there's still so much that we haven't talked about, but thanks for having me back on. And we can go for hours on this uh, topic uh, of Ouija, how it pertains to spirit communication. You know, that's one of the biggest, another thing that bothers me is people often say that Ouija is the same thing as, Radio communication, ITC, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, wow, why, why do people think that, you know, uh, be it's totally two totally different things in my opinion. Um, you know, but it, I'm glad we're able to debate these types of things. You know, they're very important that we're able to get along and be able to discuss them, uh, in, you know, in an intelligent manner without there being a, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, how it is. I do. Yeah. I do. Brandon, what's our next question for Darren? Uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit in the second part, but not fully. Okay. I thought from Gina on Facebook. Uh, do you think Ouija experiences could vary depending on the mental state of the participants and what they want to get out of it? I heard an echo on that. Can you repeat it? Or can Brian repeat it? Go ahead and repeat it, uh, Brandon, yeah. since you have the full question in front of you. Okay. Uh, do you think Ouija experiences could vary depending on the mental state of the participants and what they want to get out oh, of it? Oh, absolutely. I don't think you want to be drunk There's or high. There's been a lot talk about that. You know, is your mental condition can have everything to do with, with a, uh, you know, are you being monitored by the demonic realm? You know, many times uh, in these Ouija sessions, it, it, uh, it has the, the communication aspect, whatever we're communicating, it has the aspect or the intelligence to prey upon the weakest link in the room. Even though you may not even be on the board, these intelligences have the ability to focus on the weakest link of personality types or mental conditions, whether you may be on drugs or alcohol. They have the ability to pick up on this and influence their um, agenda accordingly. And so uh, that's very important that you realize that your mental condition going into a session, whether it be of a Ouija board or uh, any type of spirit communication, you need to be grounded and you need to be very well um, cautious and aware of your surroundings and and then open mind and not be clouded by um, negativity or, or, uh, you know, various mental conditions brought about by drugs, alcohol, medications. Yeah, I mean, demonic forces basically act on the will 
So, you know, it, 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 if you're being targeted by uh, a, a negative entity, by a demon, then um, they can't make you do anything wrong. But but they, but they, it's why often they wake people up, right? I mean, the, the whole witching hour, the three in the morning to mock, to mock the, the, the crucifixion, to deprive you of sleep, to uh, lead you to drug, alcohol, because all these things erode your will. Erode your ability to um, to make sensible decisions, and so that just like you know, just like if um, if a regime wants to torture you, you know, basically they use the same tactics. They keep you awake, um, they injure you, they um, uh, uh, um, poison relationships with people. They get you on on substances that that alter your mental state. So these are the things that that affect our ability to to choose to do the right thing so if you know if you want to resist it then you've got to make sure those things are are not part of your experience you know as much as you can you know yourself and i can tell you that many crimes have been committed because of ouija boards i'm currently in the research stage you know talking about one of the strangest cases ever the oklahoma ouija murder case which is an amazing, fascinating case that I've been digging into recently and have uncovered amazing information, uh, un- unreleased information that I've actually had to talk to police about uh, involving the Grady County uh, Sheriff's Office and County Courthouse. Looking into this case, mind-boggling. Uh, you know, uh, you know the, the way the Ouija board has, has influenced this woman uh, who is who is found not guilty by reason of insanity? Well, looking into this case, and I, um, I, I it's one of the most fascinating cases I've ever looked into. And I started looking into it by mistake, uh, just looking at the dangers of the Ouija board. And I've been able to uncover some. You know, I had to go to a graveyard and find uh, some twins that were buried there, and I actually used devices to find their grave. As I'm walking by. Uh, this different gravestones, my devices are speaking the names of the deceased as I'm walking by. And I've got video evidence of this. Um, crazy stuff, wow. you know, uh, you know, that I haven't talked about really. I've, I've, I'm not supposed to talk about it. Uh, but anyway, to make a long story, I don't know how much time, how much time do we have, Brian? We've got about, uh, maybe about 25 minutes. Okay. Um, anyway, the, the book that I'm currently excited about as far as releasing is some, in, you know, untold information is involving a, a case in 2001 in which a lady by the name of Carol, uh, well, I'm not going to say her last name, but Carol, she, she murdered her son-in-law in cold blood in front of some children and in front of her daughter-in-law uh, and then took off and tried to murder her, her children uh, or her, her people that were with her, daughter-in-laws, and, and tried, to, tried to murder them as well and was basically broke both legs uh, in, in an automobile accident that she you know, did on purpose uh, and that was later captured by police. Uh, all this was under the direct influence of a Ouija communication. And I have talked to prosecutors, I've talked to attorneys that are involved in this case, and it's mind-blowing how the unraveling of this 
this woman's life who was never involved in any type of domestic violence, no type of uh, uh, any type of police involvement, suddenly murders her son-in-law under the direction of a Ouija board. And so, and there is a name involved that I'm not going to discuss right now. But as you can imagine, uh, and this ties into perhaps the exorcist case, which was based, as we know, on a real case involving, you know, a, a Robbie Doe, whatever you want to call his fictitious name in St. Louis, yeah, uh, which involved, there was a secret diary that was never supposed to be in, in, you know, introduced to the public, but it was found in a drawer after the exorcism. And it describes during the exorcism process of this young man, there were words that showed up on its on, on the young man's skin, and one of those words was the no. Mm. It appeared on the wrists and the upper thighs. The words no would appear, but if you if you take that no and if you turn it sideways, what does it say? Yeah, interesting. So they, you know, and so that, that's they, never been discussed before. But we have these connections and, you know, these similar, what I've always found is these bizarre synchronicities. And when we, we talk about the word Zoe and the opposite Oz, there seems to be a definite play, uh, almost a magical interplay between those two terms, sigils, whatever they may be. And if you look at the uh, Hebrew gematria of the word Oz has a very positive meaning. But if you switch the, the numbers or the, Every letter has a corresponding numerical value, you know, as well as color and vibration in Hebrew gematria. When you switch the Oz and turn it to Zo, guess what happens? The opposite of good happens. Yeah. Evil. You know, and so these things matter, I think, Brian. I mean, we have all these uh, connections. Yeah. To tell, us, to tell a story, you know, as to what, what this thing, is it actually demonic? Is it evil or is it, uh, what is it we're dealing with? We don't know. Brandon, I noticed that you had something that you wanted to say. Do you, do you remember what it was? Yeah. So, um, kind of wanted your opinion, Darren, on something. So I'm not going to name names or mention the group, but there is a particular group that hosts, uh, investigations, or I should say parties at a location that we've been to quite frequently. And what they do there is they have a uh, bring your own beer policy and allow Ouija board usage. Uh, what is your opinion on that? Is it, do you condone it or do you condemn it? I think that's easy. I got to be honest. Uh, I don't recommend it. But again, we had me and Brian and Jamie and Patty Negri using a board at a bar in Vegas. I mean, and we all I had more than a few that night. Intent. I think we were of uh, you know, we were spiritually mature. We might have pulled one out in a Ouija, you know, in a Chinese restaurant. I mean, yeah. it doesn't. You know, it's a, it's a roll of the dice, uh, and you know, I wouldn't recommend it. I I I think it's fascinating that I when I use one at a haunted location because I it usually seems to pick up on something that I wasn't aware of, uh, which can tie into the investigation. But the flip side of that, and I've actually been kicked out of a major paranormal group here in Oklahoma uh, because they kept getting EDPs of Zozo while I was present during an investigation. So am I contaminating 
uh, you know, the, the, the haunting? Am I making things worse? Yeah. These are questions that go on in the minds of, of paranormal investigators, you know, and I, 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 I gotta be honest. I don't have any magical answers as when it comes to, uh, reading oneself of these uh, entities. I have, I have some, uh, some ideas that have worked it seem to have different, uh, you know, depending on their belief systems, but you know, we can, we can go on all night about um, reading one banishment ritual or whatever your belief systems are. But I think it's, it's healthy to avoid any negative spirit communication, regardless of whether it's ITC, if something's coming through and in a negative manner, shut it down. I whether it's a board or whether it's radio communication, if it's of a negative Let's not dwell on the negative. Let's avoid it. Let, let's turn something, uh, let's turn the negative into a positive if we, if we can. Uh, and that's, I think that's important. But um, I continue to research this stuff, guys. I do stuff in my garage. You see, I'm, I've got a board and I've got some uh, friends here. I just broke them out tonight just for, uh, just for uh, added benefit. But, uh, you know. Uh, those are actually uh, actually some real uh, raggy hands, but you know they're telling the difference uh, between the real ones, and you know, and they're not possessed. I don't, I, but I, I tell you I what, I can God, do if I, see one of the if I can open up. up some stuff. <laughs> I'll open up an ITC, or you know, I'll open up one of my gadgets, and I guarantee it, it'll say something to do with what you're looking at. I mean, it's just incredible, uh, and I think that's one reason why I'm kind of called into investigations is because when I do uh, weird things happen, whether it's on a board or whether I use other means of communication, it's a, it's a, it's a lifelong fascination and I'm never, uh, I'm I'm never surprised uh, really what happens because you, you have to have an open mind and you have to be aware that we are swimming in a spiritual world guys and they're everywhere. And uh, I, I wish you all the best of luck and success in your, um, searching for the truth and uh, when it comes to Ouija boards I'll continue to warn people of the dangers like the self-prophecy of, of asking questions pertaining to the, the future is a dangerous thing you know uh, and that's been scientifically proven so there are real dangers involved and so thank, thank you again for having me on Oh, it's always a pleasure and you're always welcome you're one of our guests that has open invitation Darren, you know that um, Father Chris, have you seen any other questions from the chat for Darren? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, one is kind of related to the last one, but uh, Lara asked, uh, I've learned that I've learned demons running packs and there's a hierarchy. I think I learned that on this channel. I can't remember. So any any comments on uh, the way that demons work together? That's always been a fascinating um, part of demonology is the various hierarchies involved with the various demons, whether it be, you know, considered the fallen angels of, of uh, you know, Satan, Leviathan, all these different demonic names, they have a structure, they have a hierarchy. And so when we look at the letter Z, though, I find fascinating is, you know, the, how they, how it, and they gravitate towards that letter. And if we look at a lot of the literature and research that I've found is given, there's, there seems to be a lot of anecdotal evidence that there seems to be a weird power with the letter Z. There, so that may be why they, these entities use this letter in some magical realm. But it, it, it's always, 
it's still recent. We, we can't prove anything, but this is modern demonology, guys. And so it's something I'm going to continue. It hasn't killed me yet, uh, but I continue to use it for the right purposes. Uh, I don't use boards around children or at my house. I rarely use boards, period. But I do research people that do and the stories and the things that continue to happen when you use Ouija boards. I wonder sometimes if that the you know how you mentioned that there seems to be some kind of magical occult properties to the the letter Z and the sound that it makes you know creation was brought into existence through God's utterances um and so I wonder sometimes if this is not a, an inversion of that in some way or a bastardization of those principles. I mean, certainly incantations work on this principle. Um, in uh, ceremonial magic, there are various utterances that are used vibrationally to connect with different aspects in different realms. Um, you know, the Z sound is unique. Very it's, it's, it's a very, very vibrational, vibrational yeah. sound, right? Even S is as well. As he says, he a- a- animals hate it. If you if you say to an animal, they hate they it. They do. They hate it. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, almost like a growling reaction. I know that sometimes mm-hmm. when you get up to your to your cat and growl, I mean, it, they'll react to that, um, and they do react to the Z sound in much the same way if you continuously mm-hmm. keep repeating it. So it seems to be perhaps a vibrational thing in my mind that it might actually tap into those lower vibrations that we associate with the demonic. The father of chaos magic used to sign his art. Austin Spare, the famous artist who studied under Aleister Crowley, would sign his artwork with ZOS, hmm. which caused Jimmy Page to buy up all his artwork and all the, you know, of course, Jimmy Page, uh, you know, Zeppelin uh, lived in the Bolskin mansion on the shores of Loch Ness and where Crowley supposedly had a lot of uh, demonic, you know, uh, ceremonial incantations that took place. And so there's, there's that Zeppelin connection. There's the, this whole fascinating realm uh, as to, the, again, Brian, you're right, the pronunciation of the letter Z and how it, there's an early Zen scholar that says that there, there's properties of the demonic realm called the, called the Zo and the Ma, that the Zo cause... That the, the more you learn in, in, in this, uh, in this Buddhist, Buddhist type of pre-Zen Buddhism, that the teachers or the followers would start rocking back and forth, not unlike the rainbow, what I, what I you know, say is the rainbow fashion. But here, you know, here, there's still a lot of complexities involved. There's still a lot of people that don't believe that they think that those are things is full of shit. Uh, and one of them is Michelle Warren, author of the Encyclopedia of the, of the Demonic. She doesn't believe any of this those are shit. So I, I'm not trying to force feed it down people's throats, but there's something to it, guys. And I've, I've done enough research and have, have talked enough about it and the characteristics of no matter what language that you say this is O term, there's, there's something weird about it and there's something that connects it to the demonic realm. And so uh, my voice is going out. Uh, I've been singing some Leonard Skinner earlier oh. and, uh, and so <laughs> voice is going out, but, uh, you know, guys, it's a, it's a real thing, you know, um, whether or not it's its real name, it doesn't really matter. It uses this name to cause fear 
to cause a magical manifestation, so to speak. And so I encourage people to be careful when using the letter Z in anything. Uh, and I'm, I, I intend on doing a lot more research about this craziness that seems to be, you know, also evident throughout literature. You know, other people are, have talked, have discussed it, not just me. You know, breaking down what we've extrapolated from tonight's conversation, we can almost put together a picture here that might make some sense. So one of the things that we've tried to understand is what is this thing? Is Zozo a name? And if it is a name, what is a name of? Is it a singular entity as some kind of manifestation, egregore? Um, and I think all of the above is true here. Oh, yeah. But Perhaps it is ultimately a manifestation, a projection of the demonic realm itself, the entirety of it. And that might be why it isn't easily controllable by just simply using the name to control the thing, because it's not really a name. It is the access point to the entire realm of all things that we consider to be demonic. It's the password to get into the door? Could maybe, it be? To open up the... It could it be? Like literally a type of portal, dare yeah. I say, even though I don't really like that term in paranormal. I think it's overused. You, know, you guys were talking about the Akashic. The Akashic is Sanskrit for the invisible. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. What what is magic? The invisible. What is space? It, it's all interconnected. Whether it be Jewish mysticism and the Enochian text that's it, left out of the Bible that isn't talked about, you know, except Brian talks about it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's everything's connected, and our interpretation is what it is. Is that we all have our our own paradigms, our own realities that we have to deal with. And so I just continue to, um, to exercise caution when it comes to spirit communication, especially when we put our hands on the infamous planchet. <laughs> Good advice. Um, I don't want to miss any other questions. Any other questions from the audience? I see any. Anybody? Brandon, do you see anything else? No, uh, I did see a comment okay. from Danielle. All right. Um, for you, she said, uh, when I was trying to sing opera, we would chant Z because it makes the whole of the human body vibrate and opens vibration chambers in the head. Well, there you go. So that goes back to the idea that it's sort of an entry point. So it may be a key to that, that vibrational frequency. It could very it opens well be. up the gates. Bees, bees will use it. You know, there's there's yeah. a lot of, 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 re, of literature about this, the, not the sound of the letter Z as well as the gemantria, the numerical, the numerology, it all, it's all connected. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's very fascinating stuff. How, you know, for instance, in 1964, a, a book that was written by Alan Patterson called the, uh, uh, something of prophecy. Anyway, in, in this book, uh, he just, he was best with a Ouija board and something by the name of Zoe. Hmm. manifested through the board and temporarily possessed him uh, in, in a book written in 1953 called Saucers Are Among Us by George Ham, uh, early UFOologist. He discusses using a Ouija board and talking to something called Zoe. So this is all over the place, uh, you know, um, you know, and so what are we dealing with? We don't know, uh, but I'm going to continue to research it and uh, we'll see where, where we'll see where it all goes. But I hope to be on the show again. 
Hopefully not in in another uh, three years, but maybe before. <laughs> yeah, let's definitely make sure that you get on. We're, we're going to try to open up a larger season. We're doing 16, 17 episodes this, this time. It's the largest season we've ever had. And Brandon, now that I've got help, I can kind of expand a bit and let's definitely have you on as a yeah. regular i uh, love where you're going with it guys it's really cool awesome i'm glad that uh, you're enjoying it i mean i i enjoy doing it. it's a great show and it's uh really we talk about things that Absolutely. no one else out there is um anything else Absolutely. any other questions can, darren can you explain to the audience real quick because there is a companion name that comes with zozo a lot on the board and isn't that mama can you explain that yeah yeah, can you explain where that and comes just, in? Uh, just to add to that quickly, because um, uh, earlier on, really early on in the chat, somebody had mentioned, Lisa had mentioned um, that the name Zaza had come through, and she was hoping it wasn't the female counterpart. Ah, yeah, the stories on the internet of Zaza predate Zozo, a lot of them. Uh, and that's, that happens to be Jimmy, Page, uh, Jimmy Page's daughter and Aleister Crowley's daughter named Zaza. Uh, as well as the opening of the uh, gates to hell in, in, a, uh, in a pronunciation uh, that Aleister Crowley used to summon Karanzon, uh, the opening and closing involved the pronunciation of that word. Really? And so, yes, there is a there is a connection there. Many there are many stories of people using spirit communication in that term, and and also mama and ma. And again, ma was described by this. Uh, was pre-Zen uh, Buddhist, you know, uh, spiritual teacher that went into details about the demonic realm being consisting of the Zo realm and the Ma realm. Now, how how coincidental is that? You know that these things are, are manifesting through Ouija boards, and then through research, we find uh, in literature mentioning of, of the same thing. You know, and so it causes one to really have to examine reality yeah, you know and, and and where are we at where do we fit in all this um, it's fascinating it is i mean it really makes you i mean well i think that's the whole point the point of this show anyway is to question reality um not to um lose reality but to perhaps better understand what reality is and it might not be exactly what we believe it to be or take it for granted um you know i'm looking at a, a question a just came in a comment that just came in on Facebook from Gene. Odd thought, but the Latin script letter Z is one of the symbols on the Russian military vehicles. Maybe overreading the Z. Oh yeah, that's crazy. I've got <laughs> screenshots of, of actual Z O on the back of tanks that were used in brutal murders, uh, and the and the Soviets using the, the letter Z and Zo in an effort to uh, instill fear uh, into in, in aggression. Uh, that's a, yeah, that's a, I, I didn't I didn't touch upon that, but that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, it's manifesting in ways that we don't expect. Uh, you know, and, and again, it's fascinating how this letter Z is always associated with these uh, bad, you know, evil agendas and, and so forth, and how it's adopted. <clears throat> and, and because of that, you know, we, the mere knowledge of it, you know, and that's another danger of just you know if you being a catholic uh background when you seek the demonic you will find it mm-hmm. you know and it will find you um and there's so many different aspects of it and it's uh it, it again it, the synchronicities involved between zoe and oz uh, for interesting reading check out Jake gotts's uh uh rant in z minor he, t- he discusses how 
so in Oz, and he doesn't even know me, and he brought all this stuff up. And, and media, how Zoe happens to show up in like the uh, in different films involving evil characters, and and how Zoe and Oz have this seem to have a magical symbiotic relationship. And so there's a lot of things that we don't really talk about involving this phenomenon, rabbit holes that we can go down that seem to, the more you talk about it, make, the more you dig, the more you find. And so I've, uh, you know, for, I've collected bones throughout my career and they form skeletons, you know, yeah. and it's like, how far do we go with it? You know, but I, I put what's out there uh, for people to uh, make up their own minds. I, I never try to, uh, you know, try to convince people that this stuff is real. But if you bring me along in a paranormal investigation and I use a Ouija board and it, it, you know, it tells something about your brother that I never knew and something that's, you know, like on the Ghost Adventures episode, it really fucked with them. They didn't know what to, they didn't understand why I was doing that. And I, I've, I've told them repeatedly, I'm not responsible for what comes through. Yeah, I remember yeah. that episode. That I'm a vessel. Pretty shaking for Jay. Yep. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's a freaky deal. You know, it's unsettling when you encounter it. It's, it's unexpected. Even even the GAC, who are truly looking for these kinds of things, um, I think it even it even takes them back a step and says, you know, it's shocking when you encounter There's it. An unpredictable reality. Yeah. It's so unpredictable, guys. It's such a roll of dice. When we were in the museum and had the Tesla coil machine going, the Jacobs ladder going. There was an unbelievable aura inside that place, but nothing was moving on the planchet yet. Right. So we got ripped out of there before things were just ramping up. There's no telling what would have came through. I can't even yeah, imagine. You, but yeah, we, you know, we had to get out of there, and I think that there's a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. But it is Darren, what it Darren, is, guys. Just, just and like it was crazy. On a related matter, there, there were lots of comments about people who'd been frightened or scared you know, having done Ouija boards or what have you, have you got any advice for, I mean, I, I've got my own advice, but they're not asking me. <laughs> uh, have you got any advice, any advice for um, what, what, you know, how, how we, how would you advise somebody who's kind of had a bit of a terrifying experience on what to practically do about it? it yeah. Fear is a, an element that, um, I, again, we touched upon it. I think that these entities seek it. They, they thrive on it. They feed upon it. And so the more fear that you have going into a session, I think the more chance, of course, that you're going to manifest something. That's a, you know, um, the laws of attraction state that we are, that we are attracted to that, that which is unlike which is likened to itself. So the more grounded we are, the more positive we are. And the more expectations of the positivity, I, I think it really does influence what comes through. But I've tried this before and had negative things happen, even though nothing but positive. And, and there was a, there was a shaman there. And there was there blowing of smoke, you know, and a, and, a, and a smudging, and yet something still evil came through. Uh, but when we when we were in Vegas out in the desert, and Joshua and I were attempting to uh, summon UFOs. There was nothing negative that came through, and it was perhaps one of the most powerful sessions that I've ever been involved with. And so it's all a roll of the dice, guys, and you've got to be prepared for what happens. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is about preparation. It is about knowing what you're getting yourself into. I think that's the biggest deficit in paranormal research today, particularly all of the amateur 
uh, interest that is out there because of course, let's face it, it's fascinating. And when you have a true and genuine, what do most people do for, for their paranormal experience, they look to a Ouija board. Yeah, that you're right. You're right. Because it tends to provoke, started. it tends yeah. to be, uh, one that you get results with. I mean, honestly, I, I can't deny that. Um, you know, that's where I, my first dabbling into the paranormal was a Ouija board. So I get it. I, I, yeah. Most of ours, I think most people will say that, you know, that, I mean, at least protect from our time today. Now they might try EVP because there's a whole lot of choices out there. But back when, you know, in the seventies and eighties, you didn't really know what EVP was quite yet. Ouija boards or tarot cards. That's what. That's that's it. Ouija boards and tarot cards. And um, tarot cards were more of a novelty. Ouija boards were easier to find. You could go to the toy store and get them. Yeah, the dowsing rods, too. The dowsing rods? I didn't have those. Tarot cards cards needed more um, expertise. Um, (laughs) I think that's what it is. They were too complicated. Too complicated to use. Dowsing rods really work. They actually work. Yeah, we were talking about that today, in fact. No one really knows how. Patty uses the dicing yeah. rods inside the museum with, with Brian standing right there and they were just really working. They were on all these. over the place. Yeah. I remember I've, that. I've actually got some uh, some big ones like she uses. Yeah, I, I can't too. make it work as good as she does, but they work. You know? Yeah, it's copper. They're in copper. Uh, I want to give the last I minute the here. Last year, it's a crazy place. Da- Darren, I want to give the last minute here for you to uh, just tell the audience how they can reach you if you want them to or anything that you'd like them to know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, one of these guys in the paranormal that I don't do this for the money. I, I, I don't have an agenda other than spreading the knowledge of what goes on with these region communications and what happens when I'm involved and I use a board and the things that I've seen, the things that I've researched, I'm kind of the working man's, uh, paranormal guy. You can trust what I say as I, as I, as I have a belief that's based on years and years of experience. And I have a passion for what I do, whether it's painting, whether it's uh, music, or whether it's the paranormal. I um, I go about it 100% with with my heart and soul, and I believe in these things. And I um, I find things that are very uh, interesting to certain people, and I will continue to do so, and continue to strive to be happy while doing it, and and advise you guys to do the same. And thank you so much for being my awesome. friend. And for having me on. Uh, the feeling is completely mutual. Uh, Darren, you know, I can't wait to hopefully get together with you again. I hope this whole thing with uh, the... It'll happen. The, those, yeah, that's, we, yeah we're, we're make it happen. Yeah, send me the form. Let's reach out to Zach and them. There's, there's these, this family's having problems. I'm going to send you the information you know, and on... We've reached uh, out to Ghost DM. Adventures. Okay. It's real. Yeah, we will do that. I'll get in it's touch real. with you. Darren, thank you. Father Chris, Brandon, thank you so much. Jamie, thank you. And a big thank you to all of you out there for listening to tonight's show. I really appreciate it. We are what we are today because of all of you. And the listenership is what makes that happen. So make sure you like and subscribe everywhere that you see this show, particularly on YouTube, though. That's where we really need uh, more uh, visibility. Um, And so... Please do that. Next week, we'll be talking about a brand new topic with a brand new guest, religious trauma. You don't want to miss this one. This is going to be very unique, not something that we've ever covered in any capacity before. And it's something that does come up a lot. It's on a lot of people's minds. It leads to atheism and every other kind of problem that you might see if you are a minister like I am. Anyway, we'll be dealing with that next Tuesday. Until then, I will see you out there in the ether. God bless everybody. God bless, guys.